I mean, how are you a hostage if you're in a night? Welcome to episode 46 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast, a non-competitive 40k podcast with a focus on fun narrative gameplay, as well as hobby news and our latest hobby projects. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I'm joined by Daniel Foley. Hello, it's me again. And Darren Wright. Hello. As always, before we get started, you can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook, or you can follow us on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. You can also contact us via email at narrativewargamer at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you would like to join us on a future episode. If you want to support the show and help us grow, you can do so by joining our Patreon from only $2 a month. As a supporter, you can listen to our bonus episodes on Patreon and gain access to our patrons-only group chat. The support from our patrons helps us produce the show and goes towards awesome new content for you guys in the future. Finally, if you want to support the show for free, you can do by visiting the awesome folks over at Element Games for all your hobby supplies and gaming niches. Just use our affiliate link below to visit their web store, and that way any purchases you make will directly help support the podcast. Links for everything are in the description below, so please check them out and get involved with the growing community. So yeah, welcome back Dan and welcome back Darren. Thanks for having us again, Tony. It's nice to be here again. It's a beautiful evening. We've got paint. <laughs> we've got space walls. What more could you ask for? Uh, not much, really, because it's pretty great. And to be honest, one of the things I'm really enjoying now is that we've got a real little host of um, you know regular guests and co-hosts now. So I think last episode we had about four or five different voices <laughs> um, on the podcast. Uh, tonight it is just the three of us as... Um, Later on, we will have our next Tales from the Crucible um, interview, but that is actually going to be with Darren. So uh, we got together earlier in the month and uh, discussed the Crucible of War and your experiences therein. And uh, I think it's fair to say you had a, a great time. I really did, yeah. Uh, so we've got that to look forward to later in the show. Um, but before that, uh, we're going to catch up with our paint station garrisons because it's been a while, to be honest, with uh, recent episodes being what they have. We've uh, not had a chance to just catch up and talk about what hobby we've been up to, so we're going to do that shortly. Uh, and then after the Tales from the Crucible interview with Darren, we'll be jumping into our feature topic for tonight, which is the latest 40k fun facts. This time Woo! from Warzone Natchman <laughs> Rift War. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> I've got, I've got that warm, tingly feeling again. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And uh, it's a good one. Um, I know that in the uh, the last iteration of the fun facts, I did allude to the fact that I felt I had to dig a little bit to find some particularly interesting things because the Vigilus alone law was a little bit more just previously on Vigilus. <laughs> um, and a lot of it had sort of been previously covered ground. But this time, the, the law from Rift War is uh, all brand new, a whole series of interesting events, and... Uh, they were definitely some fun facts to be had, including a brand new name game, which I'm sure Daniel will be looking forward to. <laughs> I am so much. <laughs> uh, 
I've got a big smile on my face. You can't see it because it's podcasting and it's uh, it's there. There's teeth and everything. It's great. <laughs> we can hear it. <laughs> it I'm, I'm waiting for that moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Darren's actually just here to, uh, <laughs> to get a front row live experience of the Daniel Folly losing it moment. It's just become a spectator sport now. This is this is it. This is how long? It's like a timed event. You should start taking bets on about like what moment it'll happen. How many minutes in? Oh, now I feel yeah. under pressure. <laughs> I'm sure we'll find something, don't worry. I've got a few ideas where it might occur. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> but anyways, uh, before we get into that, the one last thing to mention is um, it's the Crucible of War 2 because it is happening again later this year in October. So on October 15th, once again at Tabletop Events, we will be holding the Crucible of War 2 and uh, tickets are on sale now. So I'm sure there'll be plenty of mentions of it from here till then. But uh, yeah, if you've not heard of it before now, then you must be new to the show. <laughs> if you want to come get involved in the next Crucible of War, then tickets are still available at this time. And um, if you need some more convincing of how much fun it could be to take part in our premiere narrative play event, then uh, you'll just have to listen to Darren's interview in a bit, and I'm sure he'll convince you. I definitely will. I say I've already convinced a few friends to come to the second one, so uh, you might have to get your tickets fast. It is a oh. cracking event. It is it is uh, up there, and the 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 actual venue is very very superb. That didn't make any English or grammatical sense, but it is very superb. <laughs> we'll put that on the the posters. <laughs> what makes no grammatical sense? This venue makes no grammatical sense. <laughs> it's very superb. Right, well, with that, let's find out what we've been up to in our paint station garrison. Paint station garrison. And we're back, guys. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, time to catch up on what we've actually been doing in our paint station garrisons because, as I say, it's been a little while since um, we've had a chance to catch up and see what people have been up to. So, uh, Dan, why don't you start us off with uh, what you've been working on if well, you know, that is, you've well, been able to contain yourself after various Imperial Guard reveals. I, I mean, <laughs> yes, I mean, can we just take a brief pause for... for... Uh, Ursula, who is quite stunning, except with the weird French helmet thing. I'm not so keen on that because it looks like it's based on a French World War One helmet. Not the best. Anyway, regardless, um, currently I have been doing a commission of 33 guardsmen, which has been fun. <laughs> did, did you commission yourself to do them? No, I didn't commission myself. Someone saw my guardsmen <laughs> and went, they look good. And I went, yeah. They do, do look good, and they take eight. Oh, I've got to do more cards. No, that, uh, that's all right. That's not been too bad. That's going quite well. Uh, but my pride and joy, which I shared on the um, group not so long ago, is I've currently just finished a thousand points, which I'm staring at right now, uh, of Space Wolves, uh, which confuses me slightly because I feel quite dirty about doing them because I've never been a Space Wolf fan ever. Um, and I just one day picked up 
It's, it's with the Indominus box, actually. And I thought, do you know what would be really a great idea? Is to convert every single model in this box set to have a wolf pelt. <laughs> that wasn't a good idea. So well, it's currently... a spectacular looking idea. Yeah, it, it looks amazing. I'm really happy with it. But yeah, I wish I hadn't <laughs> done it now. But um, yeah, no, they're, they're looking good. I'm kind of going... So the idea behind the army... As, as you know, I always like to have some sort of theme when I make these armies. Is that it is uh, it's Ragnar's company, but Ragnar it is Ragnar, isn't it? Yeah, Ragnar Blackmane. He uh, he's busy. Um, he's he's kind of doing the Gasgol thing at the moment. Uh, so he <laughs> sent out uh, a vanguard force, quick response um, force, and the idea is that it's uh, sort of like an executioner's, the Emperor's executioner's force that go after psychers. So the army is going to include a Kalexus as well, because uh, I like the idea that it's just going to be sort of going after psychers and then sort of trying to take out the baddies because they're space wolves. Yeah. But yeah, that's the that's the. I'll put there will be more models on the side. Apart from that, uh, more second edition stuff terrain and oh Adeptus Titanicus which is a cracking game as I was just listening to the uh, Patreon uh, podcast just before and somebody was going on about it and it is a really good game and I recommend it but that's me done download complete there we go so yeah no that's great so um, yeah you've, you've taken a break from painting your own guardsmen to do a commission of guardsmen in order to facilitate having more space wolves to go back to doing your own guardsmen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to that effect. Excellent. Something well then, um, Darren, welcome to your first pin station garrison. I'm sure you, as always, have plenty of interesting things that you're working on, as anyone <sighs> seen your Instagram can attest to. Yeah, I, I'm one of them people where I start something and then I put it to one side and then I build something new and then I base that and then I build something new ah. and I base that and you, you, nothing's... You have a paint station fortress. That's pretty much, mean. yes, pretty much. <laughs> um, at the minute, I'm, I'm working on... I had a battle wagon that was like painted by someone else and it was like um, by a young kid and he's, he's, he basically sold me the lot and then this really <laughs> battered battle wagon um so i stripped it down and i've uh, kind of turned it into a big cannon wagon at the moment so that's primed and i have a few little spray jobs on it and it's pretty much ready uh, to go yes. i uh, i saw that um and i feel like you've taken a few tips out of your friend's book for uh, scrap building components yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, tell us all what the cannon is made out of so it's made out of some spare necron bits i was given um a mech gun a glue lid a piece of plastic i found outside um <laughs> just some random terrain bits i mean me and my friend have a thing where we take pictures of things that we find on the floor on the walk to the shop or something and we go that could be an orky bit, that could be an orky bit sometimes <laughs> they do end up in my pocket and uh, yeah this one happened to uh, get stuck onto the gun but yeah there's a glue lid on there it's like a big zapper I have, to, I have to ask was it intentional or did it get itself stuck there 
been that it was a glue lid. <laughs> yeah, I was just t- sizing it up and didn't realise it already had some glue on, so it became part of it. <laughs> so I'm working on That's... that, but I've also been working on some Space Marines from the Imperi- is it Imperium magazine? Yes, it is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is now. yeah, so I started kind of like <clears throat> I wanted to just make my own kind of custom chapter, so I've had a few uh, just been dabbling in that, so I'm going for like a kind of sandy desert uh, space marine type look um, what I've actually been doing is using baby wipes and super glue to make them kind of like desert cloaks Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. How's, how's that been uh, coming out? Oh, it works really well. Like you can kind of you get a little bit of time before it sets to actually shape and sculpt the the cloaks. Um, you may end up with baby wipes glued to your fingertips, and your fingertips may end up like a little bit furry for a bit. But yeah, it, I think it works really well. I've actually managed to paint a couple of them, and once they're sprayed and everything, uh, yeah, it works. It gives a nice kind of different look to them. Lovely, but yeah, I mean, it it goes without saying that you know you, the final product from your orcs looks uh, spectacular. So like, anything that you've been working on is all worth definitely checking out over on your Instagram, um, which will be there'll be a link in the description below for people. Yeah, if you haven't been and seen it before, but yeah. Um, I'm for myself. Um, it's been that long now since I actually last managed to catch people up on what I've been working on that I have in fact finished the tank busters that I was working on and an entire Blood Bowl dwarf team and the first pieces of my Octorain and even half a unit of Deathcopters. <laughs> so yeah, it's been a little bit of a, a good old production line over here and I've been really enjoying it. Um, funnily enough, the Deathcopters are actually a unit that are getting painted up ready for an event coming up at the end of July that I'm attending. Oh, which nice. is um better be a narrative event tony <laughs> well or i'll come well. up there and shake my fist at you so do you remember when i went to the uh the boards and swords um wargaming like event tournament day down in um uh not not nottingham derbyshire again yeah <laughs> that's it yeah where where old chris hangs out um do you remember how i came second in that yeah, two Dakatoni, as we started calling you. <laughs> two Dakatoni. No, Both. yeah, two Dakajet Tony. That's what you. Yes, that was. It's like a soprano name. <laughs> I'll have you know that uh, I ran <laughs> zero Dakajets at that event. I ran one Was Bomb, and that was before Was Bombs were cool. <laughs> um, but I I went to that because I was invited. Um, so that was sort of like an invitational invite for me. To come along, I wasn't going to say no to a nice invite, even if it was to a sort of a GT mission day, and I had a good time of it, and that was a lot of fun. Well, this time, I've been invited along to the uh, Wooden Spoon Wargaming event, so that is uh, being run by Matt, who we had the honour of chatting to in our latest casual conversations, and um, yeah, like again, I've had an invite to an event. I'm not going to say no. Uh, I'm going to go have a great time, and funnily enough, he's actually running it as a Tempest of War. Oh, that's nice. great fun! I had my first experience of that. That's it's really good. Have you played any yet, Tony? Or I have played some, and uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I played a game against my friends Tyranids, and uh, yeah, I, I was getting munched up a fair bit, but also the score was dead level right up until like the last turn. 
uh, at which point my my lack of orcs prevented me from holding objectives. But hey ho, <laughs> was it like two points um, in it? I think I remember reading something like that. Uh, no, so from, that was the um, narrative game I played at my local club earlier um, this week, and that ended up being a two point difference because Grimaldus was able to make it into my deployment zone. <laughs> Um, but that was that was a whole different venture. But um, yeah, so I'm going to be attending um, a Tempest of War um, tournament uh, at the end of July, uh, sort of locally here in um, Morley. So it's just outside Leeds. And yeah, I'm going to be taking the Death Skulls. And uh, I need some Death Copters painted up because I need units capable of deep striking, <laughs> essentially. Um, and the units that have some more rockets because. Armor of Contempt is a thing, and uh, <laughs> needing some decent AP um, is vital, because uh, earlier this week was, again, my first experience playing against Armor of Contempt, and uh, ooh, does it make it difficult to crack those Space Marines. It is horrible, isn't it? <laughs> I think I like it feels it. right. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I quite it. like it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like it feels thematically appropriate, and I like it as a rule. Um but it, it definitely adds some new tactical challenges to overcome, and uh, hopefully my death copters are going to help me do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the uh, the fun thing is that I've decided basically to try and build a list that's going to be all about making a Gorkonaut work. <laughs> um, like anything and everything that can somehow provide some sort of circumstantial bonus or benefit that can be funneled towards improving the effectiveness of the Gorkonaut to a point where it will do hopefully noticeable things in the game um, has been considered. So, so Tony, you're you're going with the same logic that I went to to your event, which was I want the, the thing that's rubbish to work. Is that is that the <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm taking the big stompy robot that doesn't have a natural inbuilt invon and the one that has a uh, lots of bullets and no energy weapons. And yeah, I'm going to make that one work. Good man. Uh, and I'm going to do that through combinations of things such as... Um, Luck? A, well, it's funny you say that because I was going to say like things like the opportunistic warlord trip, the death skulls, so that I can farm more CP into making the Gorkonaut work better. I'm going to have a big mech with the death skulls relic following behind it, repairing it as much as it possibly can every turn. I'm going to have... I've even got a wire banner knob who's going to be running around to give it plus one to hit in combat because the wire banner applies to all orc units, not just the tall <laughs> ones. <laughs> like, I'm literally pulling out all the stops to try and make this Gorkonaut actually operate. <laughs> a fully operational Gorkonaut. Exactly. <laughs> and... Uh, and if it doesn't, then oh well, I'm going to have fun with it because there are other things in the list that do other things as well. But basically, everything that can, in some way, like even just marginally assist the Gorkonaut into just crumping stuff, then uh, it's going to be doing that. So, yeah, as such, these Death Copters are nearly done, and the Wire Banner is the next unit on the uh, paint station. He's all primed and he's in his two piece sub assembly ready to go and um, hopefully once that's all done um, I can return to working on the bits of orc terrain um, that I've recently based and primed and I've got my first piece finished but specifically the four pieces that I'm using to create a display board to take this army to the event on mm, nice 
So that's kind of like the real goal is um, once I've just got these last two like models finished for the actual units in the army, I'm going to spend the next month trying to actually put together the display board for it. And um, that's going to be really lovely to see because it'll be the first time I'll have taken like a fully painted army on a fully painted display board to an event. Um, and I'm just looking forward to being able to bring Orc Town along with me. I've still yet to do that. I've still yet to make a display board for any of my armies. Um, I think they are very nice. When, um, is it Adam's? What Gene Steeler Cult one was gorgeous yeah. at the event. Yes. With the lights. It was. We have to find a dinner tray to steal. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, usually. So what I've got is I had an old um, IKEA photo frame, like a big one, oh, yeah. um, that hadn't been used for anything yet, uh, and that has now been repurposed as the display board because mm. I've basically filled the frame in with some sheets of like MDF and like glued them in place, so that the board actually has like a black frame edge to it, but it's a solid sheet surface that I can then texture up and put the frame on. Ah, oh, that's a great idea, actually. <laughs> May have to build one myself. So yeah, that's what I've been up to. But speaking of events and attending them with gorgeously painted armies, uh, I think it's about time that we move on to our next Tales from the Crucible. You kids listen up now, listen good. The boss has got a message for you all. It looks like some of the boys have been joining the war before they got themselves a proper pen job. How are you kids supposed to get any proper crumping done without a lucky blue chopper or dead flashy shooter, eh? The boss is going to be breaking heads if he captures any of you without a proper paint job. So get your ugly hides to the paint boy over at Narrative War Painter. He'll fix you up good and proper, you hear me? Narrative Wa Painter is now open for painting commissions. Specialising in good quality, army-wide standards, you can get a quote today by contacting me at narrativewargamer at gmail.com to discuss any potential hobby projects and so I can help you conquer your horde of grey plastic. You can also check out examples of my work over on Instagram at narrativewargamer. What did I say? Right you kids, get your loot in the truck and zog off to the paint boy. It better be redder and faster when you get back. And make sure to tell them Red Tooth sent you. You might get some extra special. You are about to hear of another way to play Warhammer 40,000 beyond that which is known to the ITC. A gameplay experience not only of victory points and match results, but of narrative. A tale of deadly battlefields, tactical challenges, and narrative scenarios. Welcome, dear listener, to the latest installment of Tales from the Crucible. Welcome back, guys, once again to our next installment of the Tales from the Crucible. So, uh, tonight, uh, I've got with me Mr. Darren Wright. Hello, guys. Um, and Darren here is, uh, going, has volunteered very kindly to tell us all about his own Tales from the Crucible. So, for those that haven't heard one of these before, 
this is our sort of recurring segment now for the next couple of months probably where um, we have a guest on who attended the first Narrative Wargamer Narrative Event Day, the Crucible of War, and they tell us all about their experience from the day. And hopefully by now, this will be, be the fourth perspective um, that we'll have heard from. So at this point, I think it should be starting to become clear that this larger picture of everyone who attended very much had their own experience on the day. And um, so yeah. Uh, Darren here is uh, going to take us through his sort of insights in all of it. So, welcome, Darren. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me as well, Tony. Really appreciate it. Like I say, it was a great day, and I'm super excited to talk about it as well. Excellent. So, I mean, like my first question really is, um, how did you hear about it? You know, so the Crucible of War was sort of formally advertised from about January start of this year, but had been a bit of a more nebulous concept across the show and the the podcast grouping and everything for maybe in a month or two before that yeah i find out about it because i was i follow yourself online obviously i follow anybody who paint talks i follow on instagram <laughs> so uh i started off there um found you did a podcast really started listening i think one of the first ones i listened to is when you did a breakdown of the new york pod, uh sorry the um, new york codex Ah, uh, yes, Orcs on Crusade. Yeah, yeah, so I listened to that oh. one. Obviously, it was very relative, and I was like just starting to get into playing Crusade at the time as well with my friend Elliot. Um, so I listened to that. It got me super excited for Crusade, and then I actually did a dive back and listened to a few um, back episodes as well. Um, and from there, obviously, you, you mentioned the um, Crucible of War, so picked up on it that way. Awesome. So... You've alluded to there that you're an orc player yourself and you brought um, Bad Moon Orcs, was it? Or I did, was yeah. it, um Did you play them as Bad Moons? I can't I remember. did, mate, yeah, yeah, play them as Bad Moons. Yeah, yeah because uh, you have some spectacular-looking orcs yourself. Thank you very much, mate. <laughs> the conversions in particular and the um, the sheer amount of probably just hours of creativity and like customization you've spent on your army is kind of outstanding. So um, oh. I think before anything... Where can people go see your orcs? Uh, it's Orc Daggers. Um, it's D-A-G-G-A-Z on in, uh, Instagram. You can see it all there. So I kind of document everything I do quite a bit. So you can see it all there. There's a whole backlog of customized orcs. I try and kitbash everything down to indeed the individual boys and stuff as well. So yeah, try and post it. a lot of it. It is really great to see the also um, either right now or later on. Go listen. Go listen to that. Go have a look at that, listeners, because uh, <laughs> his uh, his bad noir is especially um, a treat to see. Um, so yeah, how did um, how did you take to the general concept of the event then when you sort of first saw the event pack? I thought it was something I definitely had to go to. Um... You sent me the event pack over as like a little preview. I thought it was very um, professional. I thought it looked like Games Workshop quality, the way it was presented. Um, really easy to understand as well. I thought it was something that um, got, a, got a good feel for that. I think it was the, the damn mission, which I actually um, played at the tournament as well. Um, I just think, you, I, I, so I got a preview for that as well. So it definitely helped. Yeah, so obviously, given the nature of the event, though in this particular instance, there were 12 different missions in play, so I didn't have all of them listed in the event pack. 
Um, I think that was exciting anyway to not to not know what you're going into fully. Yeah, I mean that was kind of sort of the point. Um, in one of the like the forewords, kind of explaining the general concept of the lit, you know, of the, the format and the event, um, included this idea that while it won't be using you know GT mission format stuff, and therefore you might think there's no, there isn't as much deep tactical you know considerations to make when planning an army list because you're not building for secondaries and so on. Yeah, the fact that you literally do not know what kind of tactical problems are going to be presented to you because you don't even know what the missions are in advance gives that sense of having to create a diverse list and approach each game with tactical flexibility yeah i definitely got that feel for that and like i actually worried less about what i took to something like this than say like a, a tournament played in tournaments before um it's kind of not for me as well so i think that's plain narrative was just like a ref, it was a great like kind of refreshing and awesome to do i think yeah so i think that is one of the one of the nice sort of like bits of feedback i've had from people was that they loved the freedom of being able to just sort of take what they wanted in an analyst without having to feel constrained to the need to consider secondaries and have to consider a, a battle plan for each of the missions because that information wasn't forthcoming and they would have to just deal with what was presented to them with what they brought um, but that meant that like you said there was a sort of more freedom to just take what you wanted to take and then just have fun with it yeah i definitely think that i think something i've found because i've only just started playing like in ninth i am post lockdown um i did a lot of pe building and painting in the lockdown but didn't really know how to play the game um and my friend elliot who came along he actually pretty much taught me how to play the whole the whole thing and got <laughs> me to the level i'm at now um a lot of crusade did that but um yeah i just found when i've played in tournaments there's so many different rules to remember especially when you're fairly new to it you know what i mean and also it's just the noise the, <laughs> the different atmosphere and then you've got secondaries to remember things so um yeah again not having to worry about that just it just took a whole weight off the shoulders and uh just made the whole day a lot more fun i definitely think i, I literally think it's the best way to play Warhammer. I think as a child, it's what I when I saw the tables with the whole scenery, um, things like that. I think I wanted to imagine these big events happening, and that it, you made it possible. You know what I mean? At this event, so it was great. So um, you touched on the the tables there. So once you'd obviously once we've got to the actual day of the event, and you've got there, and you first walked into the venue at tabletop events, what did you think? Uh, I didn't expect that to be that epic. I really didn't like I I knew you were gonna do something cool. I know like the scenery would be good, but like I didn't expect that level. It really just drew you straight in. I think just we had like a little bit of a ten minute walk around just looking at the tables. I was taking pictures and documenting it so I could show other people. Um and while looking at them I was like, Yeah, that needs to play this kind of game. This kind of terrain would look great with this army, and it really drew you into a world. It felt like each table was a planet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I'm again. I'm glad that that came through because I didn't want to just run an event for the sake of running an event. You know what I mean? I didn't want to just get people together to roll dice to, you know, have a day of playing 40k and come out with a, a, a winner on top sort of thing. Mm -hmm. What I wanted was to give people these opportunities to create these stories and these experiences and while there are you know plenty of reasonable and you know good quality 
local gaming stores and clubs and other things that can put on, you know, a number of tables with L-shaped ruins and hills and, you know, some forests and all the rest of it. That's great for that sort of stuff, but of course. The, ne the next level that tabletop events really had available to us was what just kind of brought this together because I thought this is what I want to do. This is the level of basically quality and immersion within the game that I would love to emulate myself where possible mm -hmm. and being able to do that on an event size scale was fantastic and honestly if it wasn't for James and um, Ed um, then I, I don't think the Crucible of War would have been certainly the amazing experience that it was as a result. I think you could see it in the building though like the fact that they had so many armies on display the amounts of terrain they had in there things like that i think it was definitely the right kind of pairing for to make your kind of vision because like i said i'd heard you talk about it on the podcast that you wanted to do this kind of event and i kind of just from listening to your passion talk about the missions uh, breaking down crusades um some of the, the um more like the narrative play kind of styles that you described is like I expected that, but I didn't expect that terrain. You know what I mean? It really brought it, like, <laughs> like say your vision to life. It was it was awesome. Excellent. And like I say, while it while it's somewhat been my vision, the aim has been that it, ultimately it's your experience. You know, yeah, like your yeah. enjoyment for it. Because again, maybe I don't quite have the sheer catalogue of, of stuff that tabletop events have available, but certainly that style and approach to the game and like these missions and this way of just playing it is how I personally tend to play all my 40k. Mm -hmm. And that's just what I really wanted to be able to showcase to people to be like, hey, look, this is this is how I play it and I think it's pretty cool. And I, and I think oh, there'll be other people out there who would enjoy it. And uh, it seems to be that that was the case. <laughs> oh, definitely. I think you you posted one uh, on Instagram recently where it was you versus the Tyranids, and I think just the fact that you'd set up a scene where it felt like it was orcs versus Tyranids in a jungle planet. There was rocks everywhere. It didn't feel that that very kind of like symmetrical, like matching terrain on both sides or anything. You know, kind of like there is an imbalance, but the imbalance gives you that kind of that you are on that world, and that is how a war could be. You know what I mean? Mm. And it, it, like I say, I've seen it on your in your games and when you document your own games. So uh, yeah, it was great for you to share that with, with other people. Awesome. Um, so I guess we'll uh, get on to the, the first part of this then really, which is talking about your first game. So funnily enough, <laughs> um, your first mission was the Orbital Extraction mission, which was one of the example ones in the mission pack. Mm -hmm. um, so like you said, you. You, you sort of had a passing familiarity with it, I suppose, going into it, but uh, as I've sort of spoken to other people um, on the show since, um, I think the first mission for people is sort of the biggest um, like paradigm shift when it comes mm -hmm. to what they're used to when it comes to playing a standard game of 40k versus the Crucible of War format. And that's because you know, first of all, there's that mission briefing period in the um, schedule and the fact that, you know, go play your games, cool, but now you actually need to spend five, ten minutes with your opponent reading what you're actually going to be doing. How did you find that? 
I thought it was great having that little bit of time. It also just gives you time to get to know the opponent that you're taking on. You know what I mean? You both stood around reading the rules together, having a little chat. And it's kind of like a little icebreaker as well. You know what I mean? Especially when you're playing against people you don't know, going to meet them for the first time, find out what they're like. Um, so, yeah, just having that 10 minutes was, was great. Um, and it's, it was fairly simple as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, you had, obviously, you had to familiar, familiarize yourself with the rules. Um, and just just having that time was was really good to um, kind of immerse yourself afterwards in the narrative. Yeah, so I suppose in a funny way because you were um, you'd have been one of a few people who ended up playing one of the example missions in their first game. I suppose um, the complete surprise of you know, like oh what's this i'm doing now would probably lob in in your game too perhaps definitely but yeah <laughs> i guess we'll catch up with but that i didn't expect to get that um, mission you know what i mean and i also i looked at the mission pack but i didn't kind of like read it too much that i would be like i might get this mission you know what i mean i wasn't wasn't sure what i was gonna get so i still had to refresh myself on the day to be able to play anyway so it was still a bit of a surprise i think the, the just the terrain and the board itself was really surprising as well because it it really put you in that because I'd read the mission, but I didn't know what the board looked like. But when you have these two massive towers with antenna coming off everything like that, it, it really kind of like made me have to read the rules to understand why the terrain is like this. Yes, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. So, um, see, in the Obstacle Extraction mission, there's basically uh, two objective markers which are sort of evenly spaced away from the center point, um, but along the line of no man's land so they're the same distance from both players deployment zones um, and both players are attempting to reach these objective markers in order to use them to escape the planet um, because they represent orbital lifts or you know escalators as it were or whatever teleport you know teleport um chambers uh, in order to get up into orbit um so you played against Jonathan Sharp with yep. his uh, somewhat rather neon-esque styled Necrons. Yeah, it was just, it was awesome because they, they were painted really well and they clashed colour-wise with like a lot of mines yet very yellow and rusty and dark and then it was these bright purple and pinks on the um, Necrons. So it was, a, it was a great bout seeing the two armies together and again, fully painted, fully based, really nice. Which is always uh, just makes sets you into a bit more into the theme. Well, yeah, and I think that that whole sort of like showcasing the hobby at its best was one of the things that I loved about this event. This idea that you know you've brought this wonderfully converted orc army, um, Jonathan's brought this wonderfully painted Necron army, and you're playing a really narrative uh, mission, but you're also playing it on a, a scenically appropriate table, mm -hmm. and just everything about it is just telling that story so you know you, you need to use these objective markers to extract your units into orbit well where those two objective markers were on the table there's these two giant towers you know the these um literally like 10 12 stories sort of like you know uh, scaffolding tower pieces which represent you know these methods of escape um and then we haven't even touched on yet the theater of war that you played with so how did you find the experience sort of as a whole with using the theaters of war in game uh, i thought it was really good um it definitely brought that new element it was 
You also had to roll to see if the um, the dam burst as well. So you had the element of surprise. Is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? I think I was the attacker. So in my head, because it was a narrative game, I just had the, the idea of like my tank busters just kind of like shooting missiles off because I brought a whole squad of tank busters, uh, I think about 10 of them, uh, just shooting missiles at the dam. And that when that roll finally came through where the dam burst, then it would be them who did it. Yeah. So this is the mission where um, the like the dam that's off the table sort of thing, you know, out of shot, as it were. Yeah. Um, when your various other forces have caused that to collapse, it then obviously floods through this flood valley, um, and every basically units um, close to the center line of the table um, end up taking a slew of mortal wounds, and various terrain gets swept away, and so on. Um, which obviously if you were playing a mission where you could just hide in the corners of the table might not be so influential but when the whole objective of the game is to be heading towards the center points to escape before the inevitable you know dam collapse it it must just have created a a memorable game it really did it it definitely is like i can picture it in my head right now um just even just little events where it was like um i was tr because obviously with Necrons, if you don't take the squad out, they're going to come back. Um, and there were some flayed ones coming towards me, and they were also sat on the objective, so I was really trying my hardest to take them down. Uh, and I think there was only a couple of them left, and then they happened to just escape. So they scored for the for the squad. Um, and it just stuck in my head that they escaped just before the dam burst as well. <laughs> yeah, you can just imagine these, you know... Um... Psychotic robots, uh, you know, draped in flayed skin, clambering up the outsides of this tower as orcs are trying to pursue them, but get swept away at the last minute by this, you know, crashing flood. Yeah, and then and then there was the stipulation where once you've been hit by it, you couldn't move. Yeah, basically everyone gets pinned in place for like the following turn because of the fact that you, you just try to pick yourself out of the crashing flood waters or the sort of like now mud lake that you find yourself in. Yeah, yeah, that was a great element too because I kind of forgot about it and then when it happened I was like, my war boss was just sat out in the middle alone. I think he just took down a character um, so he just sat in the middle in this a bike just kind of like the idea of like a war boss just kind of revving his bike and it's just stuck in mud, spraying mud everywhere from the tracks on the back. Um, yeah, it helps me paint that picture as well. Like I said, just, just that kind of gameplay is exactly what kind of I expected from the event and Having a very kind of like imaginative, like pictorial brain, um, that's exactly what I got from it. And the theatres of war definitely helped helped with that. So, again, in its various ways, this is a, quite a different format to, you know, your GT stuff. So the two elements of sort of balance and fairness that people would consider in this is one the sort of methods of army building and two the scoring in the games so obviously this has been played with power level as opposed to points mm -hmm. so all the lists are power level out lists and scoring was based on like the mission's dictation of scoring it wasn't sort of like necessarily progressive primaries and secondaries there's some elements of that in some missions but um in this particular one like did you find that that deviation from the standard format of determining, you know, these factors was massively influential, or did it not really feel much different to normal? And it just felt like a game of 40k. 
I think it did just feel like a game of 40k, but uh, it made you want to play the narrative, you know what I mean? Like, as much as... Because if you escape, your unit's gone. It's kind of like they've died almost, but you score for it and you double, I think it was like a double the power level. That's how many points you scored. So it was quite interesting depending on what unit escaped to. But you had to kind of then take that unit out and you couldn't play them anymore, so... I think like yeah. with the Necrons, the fact that that unit was so small and would have got taken out eventually anyway for, for being the last couple left, um, it made a lot of sense to escape them. But I'm, I think at one point I had um, my tank busters sat on it or a full squad of boys that hadn't lost anyone. And it, would, it was a lot of a, lot, a loss to my army to send them up. But at the same time, you score. So you had to kind of make those tactical decisions. So it was interesting. So... After the first game, um, you've, you've, you've you know you've had that first sort of experience with the format. Um, we had our break for lunch. Mm -hmm. um, everyone at this point, I think, had similarly sort of it. It started to make sense, you know, what they were going to do for the rest of the day and what they kind of were going to be in for. Um, and I, I felt that at lunchtime there was a, certainly a bit of a a big buzz going around because everybody was just enjoying being there. Yeah, I think everyone was. I think everyone was really friendly. So I think I spoke to everybody, every single person at the event at some point. Um, I actually got to meet people that I've spoke to on Instagram. People who've inspired me, um, like the um, like the orcs that were like very Vietnam style, like I, which I love. I love seeing them, and it's inspired some of my own builds with my shooter boys that I've custom. So uh, to see them in the flesh too go around everyone's army and, and that was the other thing is every single army was fully painted there was no grey plastic um, and not just just painted but painted beautifully it was really hard to kind of like just know who'd painted the best or anything like that when it came to times of like voting things like that because it was just such a good selection um, so you mentioned um, you came with your friend Elliot Elliot, was it? Elliot yeah yeah uh, presumably did you sort of catch up with him at this point to sort of discuss your first games and sort of see how it had gone? Yeah, we both went out into the town, sat on a bench and like had some lunch and discussed our games and uh, talked about tactics and just little events that happened and I think his first game was... Um, I think it might have been the one where it was the, the big bridge. Uh, Elliot... the, over, the overpass thing, possibly for his first game. Uh, no, Elliot's first second. game was yeah, Elliot's first game was uh, the break the stalemate with the lava field. Ah, the lava field. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So we were just discussing that, and he was talking about the kind of the stipulation of the lava field. That's it. So yeah, that must have um, like how did that sound? Obviously, like you say, hearing that the friend you've gone with has just played a totally different game and totally different experience to what you I thought it was great and I was like I want that experience and, and quite luckily enough I did get that in in later in the event which um, I think as well just hearing the way that he'd played it as well um, and the things he'd done I kind of took that forward into my third game so it was kind of nice to kind of because I did get excited for that so I was definitely excited to get that later on too cool so then uh, you come back from lunch and then you're sort of going to start finding your, your second game opponent and a table. And uh, how did you find the sort of necessity to be assigned the roles of attacker and defender throughout the day? Uh, I liked it. I thought it worked really well. I think it definitely worked well in my second game. 
I think if I'd have been the attacker in the, the second game, it wouldn't have made much sense to the theme of the table, the theme of the army I was taking on. I think it, it made sense. Um, and it was quite fun to set up as the defender, knowing that it was very much a defensive mission too. Yeah, so the second mission that you played for the day was Death on Hishiria, which was basically, um, oh no, this is a world being devoured by Tyranids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you need to survive slash you know fight back and uh, survive another day sort of thing uh, and yeah you were playing on a a deaf world tyranid world so you know, it was a sort of half jungle deaf world half you know bio spires and digestion pools and stuff yeah just um, giant mouths and claws and things coming out the floor and the, the table just literally screamed what the mission was you know um I could picture it, like I said, again, it was like a worm eating an apple, and you could just see these giant mouths coming out of the floor, and my, my opponent just happened to have Tyranids as well, so it was, <laughs> made a lot of sense. You say it just happened, but it might be that that was a predetermined decision. <laughs> it was a good one, I, I really, really enjoyed the game. So yeah, um, I've mentioned at this point on the podcast before that um, the actual pairings for the day, although you as the players didn't know it so much on the day, um, I had actually sort of pre-planned and paired off all the matchups for the day in all the rounds. And this was for multiple reasons, um, which I mentioned before to basically include, you know, a game balance so that, you know, armies generally had some nice matchups where they had good games, um, as you mentioned with this mission, so that the armies and the missions being played really told, uh, like you say, a sort of narratively appropriate game. Um, and part of that was the advantage of not having match results mean anything in this format. And uh, I think it might not have been obvious to everyone playing, but to me as the organiser, it was a, a really great tool for me to be able to sort of work with, being able to play all the games all day long without having a single like Imperial versus Imperial game being played. You know, not a single mirror match being played. And every mission was thematically appropriate to the universe and hopefully that came across. It definitely did. Like like I say, especially in my second second mission it really did. Um but like you say, not having Imperium Imperium and having to try and make up some kind of reason why they'd be fighting each other, it just made a lot more sense for you to be able to choose and the fact that it didn't have to impact the end result of the tournament as well was, was really good to kind of, like you say, add to the fact that this is a narrative tournament, not a competitive. So uh, this particular mission was one that was um, a little more akin to your standard 9th edition mechanics where it's you know there are x number of objective markers on the table and um in the case of the attacker they're attempting to get to them and perform an action on them and as the defender you're trying to prevent this from happening but where it got interesting was what happened to those objective markers once the attacker performed an action on them so can you tell me a little about that yeah, so it was basically like the Tyranids, when they got to the objective, they had to sort of like plant a beacon or some kind of pheromone or something that caused these giant mouths to just come out underneath the objective and just cause damage to anything in the area. I think it might have been like six inch radius around. 
So it's quite a big area and already seeing these mouths popping out only painted the picture more that when these came up they were going to be even bigger. <laughs> and do a yeah, lot of so, damage. Yeah. So this idea that, you know, as they're essentially devouring this world, it's a point that the the local Tyranid bioforms are actually engaging your army are summoning the more, you know, planetary sized ones that are devouring the actual continents and so on to, uh, you know, come and consume this portion of the battlefield because it's going to help consume the, uh, the the biomass that's fighting back. Yeah. Um, so the little which, ones were getting their food while the big ones kind of eat the all apple. Yeah. So, um, you know, game mechanic wise, it was basically a matter of um, the attacker would like set a fuse on these objective markers, which then would cause them to, in an indeterminate amount of time, explode a deadly effect. You know, um, and you were just trying to have as many left standing as possible at the end of the game. Pretty um, much, yeah. And then on top of that, you had your theatre of war for this mission. So, how did you find that? Um, I think I found it. Um, so this was the acid rain, weren't it? The uh, the acid rain and the digestive spores in the atmosphere. Yeah, so I think it actually kind of made a lot more kind of impact on my opponent than it did me because I was <laughs> taking on the Tyranids with a lot of psychers, Um and they've just got a new codex. So a lot of my units that took wounds died the first round. So um, it definitely, like, I'd managed to wound a lot of the Tyranids and they started to take a lot of damage. So it was really cool. I think I, uh, my orcs needed that help, at least from the atmosphere, to uh, try and take down the beasts that were devouring the planet. Yeah, so this represents the fact that because the planet is in late stages of digestion, basically the entire sort of atmosphere is laced now with, you know, tiny Tyranid uh, microorganisms that are busy just breaking down biomatter and just basically being sort of like stomach acid <laughs> um, yeah, pretty which much. Um, is permeating the atmosphere and physically is now coming down in the rain um, and mechanically what this did was that if any unit if any model um, had lost um, had any wounds missing you know basically if it's wounded then at the end of the turn on a four plus it takes an additional mortal wound because you know, all these exposed wounds and injuries and so on are now being slowly digested and devoured and basically becoming infected straight away sort of thing. Um, it's just the breaking down of the the already um, injured biomatter. Um, and additionally, the acid rain had a similar effect where it could either start pouring and if it did, it could start in you know, a heavier downpour and units again would take mortal wounds from the sort of acid rain effects. I did think it was great. It def like I say, it definitely just added more to the, the, the doom of the planet. You know I mean? Just having that extra little theatre of war in there as well as the kind of like the objectives. Yeah, I think they sort of all avoid getting injured in the first place because if you do, then your your death is going to start becoming inevitable. Yeah. really sort of adds to that vibe. Yeah, it was definitely great. It definitely brought that... Um, Again, just another fantastic board that kind of made me paint the picture of all this happening too at the same time. So just the jungle and again another great painted Tyranid army as well as my opponent. So would you say at this point that's basically a two for two on great gaming experiences? Yes, definitely two for two. Even though I, I lost badly in this game, 
Um, just the fact that it was a narrative tournament and it didn't matter that I lost. I actually think it made more sense that the Hawks did lose this because the whole planet was getting devoured. It made sense to lose and I, I actually enjoyed it. And I, I'd never played <laughs> Tyranids before either and just to see them kind of not only devour the world but devour my army as well. It, it was interesting to, to watch. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's funny how sort of given that description... Uh, and the sort of enthusiasm you were just talking about for that mission for the last mm-hmm. sort of five minutes or whatever. Um, I don't think anyone listening to it would have taken away from that. They would have guessed that technically you kind of got, you know, pulled apart. Oh, definitely. <laughs> from that yeah. Game, yeah, you know? yeah. I think uh, I lost a, a Gorkonaut, um a full truck with 10 tank busters inside, and my battle wagon and scrapjet were both half wounded turn one so <laughs> i i definitely felt like i was on the planet getting devoured um i was just gonna say in the fact that like i was very bunkered in by the end it just kind of felt like my boys were trying to make the last stand that i ended up with like two boys by the end just stood in this bunker kind of shooting off um carnifaxes <laughs> yeah and so what i like about hearing this is that despite you know losing this game um and it feeling like a sort of an uphill struggle throughout just given how the game played as you know any game can sometimes go oh, it didn't diminish from your experience or your enjoyment of the game and i don't want to give the missing um i don't want to give the wrong impression that because you were playing as the non-Tyranid army on the devoured Tyranid world against Tyranids, you were destined to lose that game. No, I didn't. You weren't. No. But just because you had what you would consider a bad game didn't mean it was a bad experience. You still had a great time with it. Definitely. I would definitely say that, yeah. I enjoyed it so much. Um, And again, just the fact that if it was a tournament and you lost, it's kind of like you're not going to do as well in the tournament now. Your your rank is going to be kind of effective. Whereas in that, it didn't matter. And my yeah, opponent it, was really great. He was a he was a, a nice guy. We were having a good chat. Um, while my orcs were devoured, um, I, it didn't matter. It didn't matter to the end result. And the the narrative of the game just made sense. So it it made that well more kind of like just soften the blow of a loss. You know, it, it didn't matter. <laughs> Like, it didn't mean anything, but it was a ton of fun. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd say it was it was it was just as enjoyable as my first game, um, but but a completely unique experience. You know, I mean, it wasn't like I was playing the same kind of thing again. Great. Um, so then, to sort of round out the day, we got onto your third game, and um, as you've mentioned, this was the Lava Field mission, um, the Break the Stalemate. So this is one that, um, at this point in the last episode, Daniel Foley uh, talked about this mission as this was one of his that he played on the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the effectively like tug of war with the line of no man's land objectives whilst there's the uh, encroaching flow of lava that's uh, slowly devouring the, the table as the game plays out. Mm-hmm. Um, on, once again, a very spectacular board, which... I hadn't seen that one in a, uh, ahead of the day. I just had asked if possible if they could do some sort of volcanic themed table, and mm-hmm. it really was spot on for what it needed to be. Yeah, it was the darkest table. I felt like the planet was covered in ash. The atmosphere you can imagine was just smoky and thick. Um, 
it was very little kind of color to the scenery like say that the rocks were very dark except for this striking kind of lava and i just happened to be taken on blood angels as well who were painted like an orangey red so they really added to the look of the the kind of yeah. the whole game the classic uh, second dead sort of paint scheme for blood angels that was a, a brilliant looking army yeah it was great it was great opponent as well um definitely I, I really enjoyed the mission i just think just seeing two kind of really bright armies as well on that such that kind of like stark black background as well just really looked really cool so how did you find you were in your stride with the event by that point because this is the third game you've got used to this idea now of playing with theaters of war did it sort of feel like it came together um a bit more um intuitively maybe by the third game yeah definitely yeah it just it made a lot more sense. Um, I got in, like say, got into the swing of it, and like I said, I'd already spoke to other people who'd played different missions, like on this mission as well. So I already kind of had a little bit of a kind of a heads up on this one. Well, so it's funny how um, I gathered by the end of the day that you know talking to people, they'd really enjoyed this idea of trying to almost piece together the puzzle that was the mission sets because between rounds and stuff they'd be talking with their friends and they'd be going around and looking at the tables and having a glance over the mission details because like your mission um, details and scoring and your theater of war were printed out there on the table for you to you know reference as you're playing the game so there's no flicking between books all the time to try and find this information um and a lot of people talked about how they were basically going around having a look at what they could potentially be playing because they were all so exciting and um, were trying to second guess which ones they might get next or be picking out some favourites that they were hoping they might get to play and stuff like that. Yeah, I was doing that myself. Um, I was looking <laughs> at the one next to the um, lava one actually where it was like a desert planet and it was very much kind of like mixed deployment. Um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. So I was already going to read that one thinking that looked quite interesting. That was the... Um... Desperation and Despair mission, which is the uh, the one where the entire table space is used as deployments, but the armies are like deployed in alternating grid layout. So basically, both armies are fully like mixed in amongst each other to begin the game. Yeah, and, definitely uh, interesting yeah, kind uh, of. And and then there's a, a deadly dust storm that's blowing around it as well, causing basically damage and obscuring effects, which. Uh, was put to use in many tactical ways um, by the various players that played on that <laughs> mission. Across Probably wouldn't have been very good for bad moons as well if we uh, lose a lot of range. <laughs> but it would definitely have been fun. Um, so, how did you actually find playing with the um, the moving objective markers and the lava field stuff? I thought they were great. Um, the way we kind of deployed though, my opponent deployed the opposite end of the lava field, so he was very safe. But that <laughs> meant EA then would like lose out on a few objectives. Whereas I loved the idea that I had a, a war boss on a war bike with a whole bunch of war bikers behind him, and they were basically playing chicken. So they were like right, I, I spawned them right next to the lava. I just loved the idea of them like wheeling and like skidding next to it and kind of just running the risk of and, and having fun with it so i kind of deployed them more that end 
so I could kind of like when we did move the lava they would be getting chased and I know it kind of tactically tactically would have kind of if they'd have died to the lava um, so be it but I just thought it was quite fun very orky well um, so Daniel Foley was saying the same thing about um, with his Cadians because he obviously had enough just bodies that he could sort of play that expendable game with the lava field where he could just have squads that were basically running the line with it in order to hold objectives nearby and it, while running the risk of losing some bodies to it um, which, you know, in his case he might have lost a few bodies to it It's a very <laughs> guard did, thing did, to do though yeah, isn't it? It's did, just... didn't hamper his, uh, his ability to engage as a result so it was a calculated and ultimately acceptable loss yeah, I think again that's just this this narrative kind of play just really adds to that as well is that I like two examples there is just just playing like the theme of your army. It's not you're not bound to it so much that you can you can just go well that's what orcs would do or that's what the guard would do and you can play that and there isn't that worry that you've got to kind of play your most kind of very tactical or anything like that. It definitely adds that fun kind of element and make the decisions that an orc, an orc would do yeah I'm, I'm really pleased to hear that you know the amount of people that have said it just allowed them to have fun with their games and their armies you know more than anything about which is silly to think when you know that's the whole reason why we play this game mm-hmm. you know yeah. <laughs> the whole hobby and the whole idea of it really is to have fun with it so to hear people saying that you know I really enjoyed this event I actually got to have fun which <laughs> is kind of like well does that not feel then like there's something that's been detracted from the experience in what is the more sort of standard approach to this I, I think so yeah and I think you brought it back you know what I mean because like I say I have entered a couple of like my local gaming shop just like I was still entering like beginners tournaments um, being fairly new to play and, and um, yeah some I mean they are great I do I do love kind of playing that side too but it's a lot more stressful and not as fun. I definitely yeah. don't think so. Like I say, I, I definitely don't want to detract from, you know, the offerings that, you know, GT mission tournaments have because there's definitely enjoyment um, to be gained from having a, you know, a real sort of tactical duel with someone, you know, to try and come mm-hmm. out on top in this game. Um, but sometimes... In so many ways, I just feel like that is often the only option available to people. And it's not that I don't want people to not enjoy those things. I think they're totally valid, but it's nice to actually be able to offer something else as well. So people have options. And if people want to come to, you know, a crazy, um, you know, narrative format where orc bikers are racing ahead of lava fields, because that's just going to be fun, then they can do yeah, exactly. I think there are people as well who just kind of aren't as competitive or something like that, but still want the experience of a tournament. And that just kind of getting to meet new people, see new armies, not necessarily playing the same people all the time and stuff. And I think that is that's the option for them if, if they if they want to have fun and still get the experience of a tournament without that like without having to compete. Yes. Um, yeah, I definitely think it's brought that too for like I say, I, I don't mind competing. I can be quite competitive, but I also like to to have fun. But I know there's people out there that are just just not into the com- kind of competitive side and can't like get anything from that. 
which I think they would definitely benefit from like a, a narrative tournament. I think other people say like someone who's really interested in lore as well, things like that, where it's like they play for the lore. I've got friends like that where they very much like they won't play the most tactical army. They might bring like say scouts or, or different units that are not meta, but they'll bring them because they love them. They love playing that unit and that idea. And I think this tournament's for that kind of person too. Wonderful. So to sort of round this out then, um, you know, towards the end of the day, you've played your three games, you've sort of got to experience everything that the Crucible of War is. Um, how did you find the sort of, you know, the wrap up and the sort of like award ceremony at the end of the day? I thought it was great. It was, it felt very friendly. Everybody was happy for everyone. Um, yeah, I just think like the, the prizes were great. It was really nice. To, I think everyone was super grateful for the day too, and you could see it. You could see the happiness on people's faces. Everyone was laughing, joking, smiling, um, and I was one of them. It was it was great. You were indeed one of them because you did win a prize. I did, um, and you actually. This is the reason why at the top of this segment we mentioned going and checking out your Instagram because you came away with the best painted army award at the end of the day because you got the most votes from everybody there on the day for best painted oh i really appreciate everybody who voted for me as well it was it's really nice that they did that and uh just like the hours i put into my army and stuff uh it's nice to kind of get that recognition i guess <laughs> yeah definitely i mean you can see it like honestly your orcs are like the clearly a passion project and um it was a very well deserved you know best painted award um including oh, you. your uh, appropriately themed little prize. How, how did you find the um, like the nature of the awards and the prizes? I loved it. I, I keep telling people about it, and um, just the, the, the one with I think it was like if your opponent, uh, sorry, if your units have been killed by the terrain, and someone won a bunker. So just because <laughs> they their units had died, they definitely needed a bunker to to stop dying. Um, yeah, it was fun. It was it was it was fun. Kind of prizes and the thematic prizes, like say the one that won um, the the war boss kind of fight in the arena, and then they got to take an arena, and just the idea that they get to take that home and, and play it. Yeah, like I wanted to create a series of you know awards and accolades that you know people would get for achieving certain things in games, or you know having a certain score as it were against a particular tracked metric across the day things like you know most use of missions special stratagems or most casualties to the environment <laughs> and stuff like that and um because hopefully nobody sort of lamented the lack of a best general award mm -hmm. like that's one thing i was hoping for is that at the end of the day it didn't feel like there was nothing to be achieved or won or celebrated but at the same time, hopefully no one was sat there going, well, you know, I won all three of my games and like, I kind of wish there was the best general award. I, I, did, I have not had any feedback um, in that respect as a negative, so... Yeah, it, I, I wouldn't say it, it was a negative at all. I think it, like, the awards were just so fun and it, it just kind of added to the, to the mood of the day that everybody was already happy, everybody was already kind of stoked that everything had gone that way. Um, and I, like I said, I was happy with all three games, happy with everyone I met there. Um, Still, still in awe about the the um, just the work put into it as well. And um, one thing I forgot to mention earlier was just the fact that you said that you printed out the things as opposed to 
um, having to de- de- dive into books and stuff. Um, I've had that at tournaments where not everyone has the book and you're sharing it. It's very stressful sometimes where you don't have the thing you need to start your game. Just having it printed out as well was um, just made things super easy. It was super, the work you've put in, you could see it. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And it definitely made it kind of a lot easier. Um, and the, I'm guessing all the work you've put in is the reason everybody at the end was just happy. And, I don't think it could have gone better for myself. I had a really I, such a good day. I've I've already got my ticket for the next one, and uh, so have my friends. So <laughs> yeah, well, that's glad to hear because um, yeah, like tickets for Crucible of War Two are on sale now, and, and there'll be a link in the description of this episode below for you to go check them out if you're interested in attending. Which you know, hopefully, <laughs> by this I think they might have to get them quick at the, at the the rate everyone's getting them. I think <laughs> I think they might have to. Uh, get them while you can I mean uh, so the event is uh, Crucible War 2 will be taking place on October 15th um, once again at tabletop events because you know I can't imagine going anywhere else at this point <laughs> to host it um, but yeah like I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing you know returning faces because uh, as sort of mentioned um, in the last couple of episodes the one real unique feature of this event is the replayability it has for the individual because we could run the exact same event day with the exact same attendees and the exact same missions a second day and everyone would play different missions again and I mean I'm gonna have additions in it to it there's gonna be more missions there's gonna be you know some sort of evolutions of the event but I wouldn't even have to do that and there would be inherent replayability there for people so Hopefully, when you're when you're at the next one in October, you'll have just as a varied and just as an exciting time. I say there's definitely some tables I'm uh, looking forward to playing on. Hope I mean, like I say, there's so many other options that I didn't even get to play this time. I'm sure the three games I'll get in the next one will be uh, just as fun. So, um, what would you say is sort of like your final takeaways from all this? You mentioned that, again you travelled up with. Um, with your friend Elliot and presumably you travelled back down again with him at the end of the day so what was that sort of experience like you know sort of coming down from it all um, well we had a we had a two hour drive so we had a lot of time to discuss Warhammer um, yeah we, we were basically talking because me and him have played a very big campaign of Crusade um, we found that Crusade kind of I, as much as I love it and then like getting to level up your characters things like that um, we got to the point where everybody had a, a buff and there were so many rules to remember um, that we just played these narrative games and we just got just as much fun and just as adding the kind of the narrative, the story. Um, we were talking about how we could take away what we'd played at the event to back home and the games that we're going to play in the future. So we were talking about setting up terrain more where it did matter that like like say the towers, things like that, or um, just just buildings where it may it may not be that balanced kind of symmetrical board anymore, but it'll add to the narrative. Maybe keeping like a narrative diary so we can play those kind of games where we remember that characters did certain things um, and the kind of rivalries between them, but like in that more kind of thematic setting where events happened and. One I'd really, I am I'm yet to play it, but like the one where it's the boss battle, it's like getting to do that at the end, where the two <laughs> characters who've had this rivalry, so we were talking about getting to do that. 
Um, I just think it, what we played at the tournament is what we kind of want to bring more to the games that we're going to be playing in future. So we definitely got a lot from it, and we're going to take a lot away from it. That's that's honestly just great to hear because for me, ultimately, that's kind of the thing that I wanted to achieve with this. Was mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of the whole premise of the podcast as a whole, really, is trying to help spread this message about you know discovering more ways to play because again just in case it's not clear to people listening to this now but all these missions all these theaters of war all this that i've pulled together for the event for the crucible of war while the sort of how it's come together has been you know my own design the actual building blocks, all the individual missions and the individual environment rules and all that, none of that is homebrewed. That is all actually taken from official Games Workshop publications, primarily from across 9th edition, with a few things taken from 8th. And it's just compiled and been paired off in ways that I've created these particular pairings of missions and environments and so on. and formatted my event around them but i've this isn't something which i'm a you know a deeply embedded creative narrative person who's gone out of my way to homebrew all these rules for these things in order to create a narrative experience i haven't done that i've just taken what exists and is being pointed out by games workshop but just does not get talked about and does not get the coverage to the point where a lot of people don't realize these things exist but everything in that event pack in terms of gameplay is pulled from official sources yeah it's a good point because i think like I, I didn't know much about any of these kind of missions or anything until listening to your podcast and then i actually had to go look for them and it's just the yeah. fact that they're not they're not like put out there and it's, it's kind of a shame really yeah i mean like the i mean unfortunately until recently when a lot of the crusade mission packs now become un, um, you know unavailable from games workshop mm -hmm. themselves but hopefully if you look for them you might still find third party stuff yes to have them at this period of time and i do hope sincerely that we're going to see their return to the shelves at some point but um all the crusade mission packs like there's a good hundred plus uh, hundred plus missions for ninth edition which have been published and put out there, which have nothing to do with GT formats or secondaries or anything like that. And these things are, just exist and they're there to be played. But Games Workshop has you know, made them, they've sold them, and they've made them available to players. But there just isn't the same amount of community chatter and discussion about these. You know, every single time there's been a, a Warzone supplement come out, there's been a Crusade pack that's come with it, with the exception of Rift War, which is its own thing, because I'm genuinely um, sad that it didn't come with its own Crusade pack, but that's another issue. Um, <laughs> but like, every time there's been a GT mission pack that you know YouTubers, content creators, podcasters have been talking about, every time there's been um, a new Warzone book and they've talked about the latest Codex supplement that's been in there, you know, alongside that, there's been here's a slew of twenty plus new Crusade missions. Here's three to four new legendary missions from that war zone. Here's theatres of war and environment rules for fighting in Charadon and Octarius and blah blah blah. But that just doesn't get picked up by the the sources of community outreach. 
in a lot of instances. Not all instances, like there are others out there, like Masters of the Forge, another great podcast that do cover this sort of stuff. But, you know, between the narrative wargamer and them, there's few and far between, you know, that sort of cover this stuff. Yeah, I just don't, I'm not seeing it very much. Like I do like watch people on YouTube talk about it, but it is very much about the competitive side. Um, I think that's what drew me to your podcast because it just it just really excited me. Like I said, as a kid, I always wanted to play these very narrative games. I would imagine my my army in these worlds, and uh, I think just you highlighting it, there needs to be needs to be more of that. And again, that's what drew me to the podcast in the first place. Um, well, just, just how exciting the kind of missions sound. And well, I'm glad that really ultimately. Yeah, I'm glad that ultimately it's come full circle then and has achieved what ultimately I set out to do because, yeah, sure, you, you discovering the podcast and listening to it, that's great. You know, I, I appreciate the downloads and the listens. I'm sure you enjoy the, you know, two hours of uh, listening to us ramble about 40k <laughs> while you're commuting or working or whatever. But ultimately, the fact that it has got you to a table to play games with this you know source of stuff that games workshop does produce for narrative play and has actually got you in a room with a bunch of other people who've been playing this narrative provided content from gw and now are taking that experience away with you to your play groups to your friends and like mm -hmm. you've said you've just talked about how you're thinking about changing up how you're going to play your regular day-to-day -day pick up and play games that is the goal yeah, we've actually done that already. Um, we've um, since the event, like we wrote a mission pack where we kind of like took and kind of tweaked, like tweaked little things, and we made um, just based on something that happened at the event as well. So at the end of my third game, my Gorkonaut was taken down, um, and I just happened to roll a six, and it exploded, and it killed my truck, and it killed a load of Space Marines, and. I was I was really buzzing. I think that was one of my favourite parts of that game was just the fact that it's very orky, but my 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 own thing exploded. So, um, so yeah, we we wrote a mission after that where it was just like every vehicle auto explodes, and it just happened to be a three way <laughs> where everyone brought. I had a speed war. Um, there was a knight list, and then there was a guard list with loads of tanks and a bane blade, and when something died it exploded we basically wrote the idea that like there was like a the atmosphere if something exploded it, it just it had to happen um <laughs> and we played very differently so uh luckily i have a stratagem where i can uh careen my vehicles when it explodes um and everybody was kind of like going with the kind of fluffy kind of play of it all um we did kind of bend the rules a little but it was the fact that my battle wagon was pretty much dead um and everyone was like, we'll allow you to shoot your own vehicle. So I then shot my own vehicle to make it explode to cause a chain reaction. And <laughs> every single, everybody who was playing was laughing their head off at all these events and things exploding and the guard taking out a lot of their own with their exploding tanks. And uh, it just added this new element. Like I say, there was points where people were just laughing in tears. And I think that came from, I think playing at the narrative event and just kind of wanting that more kind of thematic and fun element to uh, to gaming. It definitely brought it to that game as well. That's, that's honestly uh, like amazing to hear, and I couldn't ask for more than that. Like I say, ultimately, like 
the idea of what this game can be in my head and my own experience has made its way to your tabletop mm -hmm. and that's i couldn't ask more than that so yeah i i think that is the perfect sort of note to to end on here so thank you darren for coming on and sharing your experiences from the crucible war oh no worries mate thank you very much as well like I said for organizing the event and doing the podcast because it's just made it has made gaming really really fun for me so uh i do really appreciate it and you can see the hard work you put into it and stuff like the event and the podcast so so i'd say thank you to yourself too uh well thank you very much for those kind words and uh, no worries, with that we will jump back now to the rest of the show where hopefully we are providing <laughs> the exact kind of interesting uh, content that you've just been praising <laughs> <laughs> Are you enjoying the Narrative Wargamer podcast? If you are, why not check out our community Facebook group at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook. We share our latest hobby projects and narrative battles and aim to grow a community for casual and narrative 40k players. We're always excited to see the awesome things our listeners are working on and it is a great place to hang out with other like-minded hobbyists. You can also find us on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer and over on Twitter at Narrative40k for regular hobby updates on our 40k projects. And we're back, guys. So welcome back to the rest of the show. And a thank you again, Darren, for that fascinating interview and uh, wonderful time recounting your experiences at the Crucible of War. There is, Tony. It was my pleasure. Um, so it's nice to know now that we've had, I think it's four people's perspectives now from the event at this point, um, and they've got even more interviews lined up, so even more people are still wanting to come forward and tell us about their day, and I couldn't be happier to talk to people about it, so I'd say I'm, I'm looking forward to a few more of these segments in the near future. But... The segment that uh, Dan and Darren are here to, for tonight, and the ones that they are looking forward to the most, is our fun facts. And that is going to be our latest 40k quiz, where I once again come up with ridiculous concepts and ideas and pair them off with equally ridiculous concepts and facts from the latest Warzone book. And Dan and Darren here have to sift them apart and see if they can work out which ones are true and which ones I made up. I feel like I'm fighting for my honour after last time. <laughs> I, I would like to point out, at least Dan has won. At least a Dan has won each time. <laughs> so technically, I haven't lost. Yeah. Yeah. You're now co-opting the successes of other Dans. Yeah, we're like a hive mind. <laughs> We've said this. Fair enough. Well, hopefully Darren is up to the challenge of taking on the Daniel Hivemind. <laughs> I'll try my best. <laughs> you don't have to try very hard. <laughs> well, in a callback to the last quiz, you'll be pleased to know, Dan, that once again tonight, we do have our bonus five points awarded for the <gasps> nobody knows answer. Oh, I love that round. <laughs> so uh, this is 
One of the questions tonight, the correct answer will in fact not be one of the presented multi-choice options because the correct answer will be the trick, the trick answer of nobody knows, which includes in-universe, out-of-universe, you the listeners, us the hosts, and even the writers of the book. Like Nobody knows the answer to the question because it has not been specified. It has been left mysterious. But if you do know, uh, leave it in the comments. <laughs> I'll send it to you on a yeah. postcard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Self-addressed <laughs> envelope. <laughs> well, to get us a PO box specifically yeah. for funny facts. Somebody <laughs> knows. <laughs> yeah, that should be the answer. It's not nobody knows. Somebody <laughs> knows. But does anybody care? Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, um, both Dan and Darren tonight can at one point choose to make the guess of uh, nobody knows as their answer instead, and who knows, they might be right. Um, we've got a couple of rounds tonight, uh, leading through the different phases of the events that take place in the law from Natchman Waza, Natchman Rift War, um, sort of revolving around Harkon World Claimers, uh, Chaos Fleet, and its progress through the Natchman Gauntlet. Uh, as it attempts to reach the Sanctus Wall down at the galactic southern end of the rift. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's some interesting stuff to, uh, to come up. And as always, there are some particularly fascinating and ridiculous facts in here. <laughs> so, um, if it is the first time for anyone who's tuning in and it's the first time they're listening to one of these quizzes, um, I'm going to present multiple choice answers uh, to each of these questions and Dan and Darren can choose um, any of them or the same as each other uh, as to which one they believe is the true fact and um, pick it out from the false ones I've made up. We're going to tally up the score and arbitrarily see who knows their best fake facts from real facts. <laughs> um, Nobody knows. <laughs> So, interestingly enough, we have a single question, the prologue round, this time. And this is because we have a quote from the beginning of the, uh, the law section, um, and I would like you to tell me who it was that said this quote. I'm going to read it out first and then give you the options. Let them come. For 10,000 years, we have readied ourselves for this moment. Our forebearers fought for what we fight for now. That which has always been ours by right, since time immemorial. Our freedom, our independence. We fight for our right to control our own destiny. Upon this world, our world, we shall break our would-be oppressors and declare with the barrels of our cannons and with the teeth of our blades that we shall not be owned. Mel Gibson from Braveheart. <laughs> now, your options for who said this is unfortunately not Mel Gibson. Oh. <laughs> but your first options, was it Chapter Master Baystain Grix of the Castellans of the Rift? Was it B, High King Caligus of Traitor Nighthouse Mandracor? Or was it C, Cypher? <laughs> Now, I don't think... Now, my logic, here we go. Logic into 40k. I don't imagine Cypher is a man of many words. B, 
because he just likes to shoot things. So I'm gonna let Darren answer first. <laughs> <laughs> I was just questioning when it says there would be oppressors, it depends who they see as the oppressors, so it is a bit mm. of a tough one. I, um, I, I'm going to go for the, the night, is it the Traitor Nighthouse? Is that, that's a yeah. thing. Yeah, Up I'm going to go for the Traitor Nighthouse. The High King of uh, yeah. Traitor Nighthouse Mandracor. Okay, yeah. so I'm probably going to go for A, um, the Chapter Master of the Castellans of the Rift, just because that's kind of their first time getting the law, so maybe... Like, yeah, gonna go with that one. Well, I can tell you that you were right, Dan. It was not Cipher. <laughs> he is a man of not so many words. But Why do I get the sense of you were right, but? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because actually, you are right, Dan. It was High King. Uh, Caliticus of Traitor Nighthouse Mandricor. He's referring to the Imperium as the oppressors. There you go. That's, <laughs> that's it. They're oppressors. They like to oppress people. That's what they do. Go around oppressing people. You'll also be uh, interested to know that a fun fact about the fun fact quizzes is that so far, in every single quiz, Cypher has been an option for one of the questions in every quiz. I did not know that. He gets everywhere. He does. And the funny thing is, is that at one point, one day, it's going to be the right answer. <laughs> and that's what's going to throw people. I don't know when it's going to be the case, but he's going to pop up at some point. <laughs> so yes, well done. Um, it was the High King of the Traitor Household. Which leads us on to our proper round one, which is all about the Siege of Darovar. Now, Darovar is the house, um, is the homeworld of this particular traitor, um, Chaos Knight house. And it's uh, situated at the northern end of the rift, basically not too far from Vigilus. And essentially, it was the first stop off for Harkon uh, on his... Uh, uh, approach through the rift because at the time that he was able to set off from Vigilus it had been under siege by the castellans of the rift and various other imperial forces that were attempting to basically destroy this uh, traitor household because they were proving to be you know a significant linchpin for traitor forces within the rift and they needed to be removed so uh, first up for our questions then regarding the siege of Darabar we have a little bit of back history about the actual household. So, originally siding with the War Master during the dark days of the Horus Heresy, House Mandracor quickly withdrew to their homeworld shortly after the War Master's defeat. Beginning to fortify Darava against the expected Imperial retribution during the scouring, how did House Mandracor plan to evade Imperial retribution? Was it A? The High Kings enforced a strict policy of isolationism, forbidding anyone from leaving the planet and hoping to remain anonymous and hidden. That's that's the equivalent of knights putting their hands over their eyes going, we're not here, <laughs> you can't see yeah, us. Basically, <laughs> basically, yeah. Option B. They planned to play dumb and act as though they were they were unaware of the events of the Horus Heresy and had always been loyal to the Imperium. 
What heresy? Don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Dave, you know about this? No, no, I don't know about this heresy. What are you talking about? Jeff? No, no, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> don't know what... <laughs> Horace who? Never heard of this little brick bloke. <laughs> Harris? Harris heresy? <laughs> or see, they entered into a dark pact with Bellicor to shroud <laughs> their world in darkness and remain hidden in the void. Oh, he's back again. <laughs> Good old Bellicor. Uh, I really like the idea of Plen playing dumb. I love the idea of it. <laughs> Because you have to remember, obviously, not not everyone that sided with the Warmaster necessarily fell to chaos, you know, in the span of the heresy. So did they think they could just pretend they never sided with him? That's the equivalent of going to France and getting pulled over by the gendarmes and going, I'm, I, I don't speak a word of French, mate. I don't know <laughs> what you're going on about. So, heresy? What's that? Don't know what that is. We'll just keep driving. I really like that idea. I want to go with that one. I know I'm wrong, but I like that one so much. So Dan's good to go with playing dumb. Cool. Darren, what do you reckon? Mm, I'm going to go with C, just it sounds kind of cool. So, <laughs> hiding in the void, uh, thanks to the dark powers of Bellacore. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, that the High Kings of House Mandricor decided their best course of action was to enforce a strict policy of isolationism and essentially oh. bury their head in the sand. <laughs> like, what? No, we we don't find us here, honest. We're not doing anything, don't mind us. I'm genuinely disappointed. <laughs> As is often the way with these quiz answers, isn't it, Dan? Yeah. <laughs> I do enjoy coming up with the ideas of them uh, playing dumb. And <laughs> I also like the idea that the knights are literally just burying their heads in the sand. Just like, no. People <laughs> yeah, will find us honest. But here's the funny thing. After 10,000 years of strict isolationism, paranoia, and the constant fear that any day a huge imperial fleet might arrive to destroy them, the imperial retribution never came. Ooh. And my question to you is, why was that? Was it A, records of House Mandricor's existence did not survive the heresy? B, Alpha Legion operatives had falsified records stating Daravar was in fact a dead world? Or C, it was due to a clerical error, misplacing the coordinates of Daravar into a different segmentum entirely? That one. Mm. Office... I think I like the idea of B, the Alpha Legion. Uh... I, I like the idea that, that some cleric just hit the wrong button and <laughs> disappeared. And that's very 40k. That is very 40k. Armies turning up late, that kind of thing. Uh, I mean, that's the idea. Like, you get armies turning up late. I mean, you could potentially get armies turning up to the wrong place. I'm going to go with. Is it C? It was C, wasn't it, the last one? C was the clerical error, yes. Yeah, clerical error. Well, I can tell you that the answer was, in fact, D. Nobody knows. Oh. <laughs> oh. 
We're getting it out early tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, it was in fact that after 10,000 years of basically hiding on their planet, expecting inevitable retribution from their actions during the heresy, it never happened. It just never materialized, and nobody knows why. Like, Basically, part of the assumption is just the fact that the Imperium and the galaxy as a whole is that big that in 10,000 years, they just never got around to them. <laughs> they had too many <laughs> other things to deal with. Like, who knows? Might have been a clerical error. It might have been the Alpha Legion playing tricksy tricks. We don't know, and nobody does. That must do, like, ter- terrible things to their self-esteem. Right? I, it's well, basically not, driven them... Are we not good enough? Are we... <laughs> Well, it's basically driven them sort of, you know, mad of paranoia for 10,000 years. And in that time, this household has fully fallen to chaos, but has still maintained this belief that one day the Imperium is going to come for them. And they've basically just been fortifying Darabar ever since. And uh, funnily enough, it, the planet was only first rediscovered once the emergence of the Great Rift had happened, and basically Daravard found itself within the Natchmund Gauntlet, and explorers attempting to map the region for the first time were the ones who first discovered the traitor Nightworld. Ah, that's very cool. And then those explorers were swiftly executed by the High King. (laughs) (laughs) As would be expected. But yeah, basically they were in a bit of a dead-end nowhere bit of space until the rift formed and then suddenly they found themselves in the most strategically valuable place in the Imperium. (laughs) Swings and roundabouts, isn't it, really? (laughs) I still just like the idea of, like you said before, the knights with their actual heads buried in the suns. Just like, literally just (laughs) sand. A knight bent over, big pile of sand, huge mountain. Or knights with their hands over their ears going, la, 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 I'm not listening, da, da, da. That would be quite fun. Yeah. Like petulant children. I, I like the idea of uh, one just shrugging his shoulders going, Horace who? who? I don't know <laughs> what you're talking about. <laughs> um, so, uh, next interesting fact about the, this knight household. High Queen Caligia pilots the knight tyrant all hearing and is accompanied into battle by her three handmaidens. Who pilot Knight Despoiler, Knight Desecrator, and Knight Rampager class knights, respectively. Each of these, uh, each of these handmaidens, are a daughter of a powerful noble family on Daravar. But why is this? Is it a because these daughters are in fact political hostages in her service to ensure the loyalty of their respective bloodlines? B that Queen Caligia considers males inferior members of the household and refuses to acknowledge any of them save the High King, or C, that they are in fact all her own daughters as the Queen claims multiple husbands so as to control more of the bloodlines within House Mandragal. Oh, they are all very... Having read uh, Moloch, they are all very, very plausible. (laughs) That's the aim. I'm going to go with C again. I think I'm going to go with A. Sounds like something like a night house, kind of. Yeah. So, uh, Darren, you're going for political hostages, and Dan, you're going for daughters of her multiple husbands. Yep. Yep, cool. Well, I could tell you that clearly 
Darren is our political mastermind, as they are indeed all political hostages forced Wait. into their servitude. I'm going right. <laughs> I mean, as far as uh, hostage situations go in the uh, 40k universe, being the pilot of a knight is probably not the worst place to be a hostage. Yeah, I mean, how are you a hostage if you're in a knight? <laughs> a political hostage. <laughs> so? <laughs> Just because you're a political hostage with guns. <laughs> I kind of like the idea of just like when a grot finally becomes a killer can. And it's like... Yeah, just, basically. So yeah. That's like, he's still not good at overthrow the war boss, but he's uh, no. he, he's good at uh, possibly take some vengeance out on uh, stamp on people someone. who picked on him. Yeah. <laughs> so next we have a question about the actual defences of Darabar. This one is a two-part. And there's actually a point per correct answer for these. So, <clears throat> the defences of Daravar were many and varied. Now, can you tell me which of these following were features of Daravar's defences in the void above the world? And multiple of these could be correct. And for each one that you guess that is correct, you'll get one point. So, first up we have... An enormous debris field in orbit populated with renegades, aliens and cultists... Second, we have multiple layers of void mine networks. And thirdly, we have numerous warp anomalies leaving only narrow channels of real space to access the planet. I'm going to say the first one and the third one, maybe. I'm going to go for the pirates and the mines. <clears throat> well, I can tell you that that is two points each because in fact all three of them are true <laughs> all right so they had debris fields full of pirates and aliens multiple layers of void mine networks and warp anomalies making navigating the space around the planet incredibly hazardous so you can imagine the difficulty the imperials had laying siege to this world i was gonna say no wonder they couldn't find them <laughs> <laughs> Burying the head in the sand doesn't sound so ridiculous now, does it? Well, no, because we didn't say that at the beginning, did you? That's kind of... You should have led with this question. To be fair, the various warp anomalies and the debris field are probably as a direct result of the rift forming around them, which only happened in the last, like, 200 years, as opposed to 10,000. That's a technicality. <laughs> However, we have a second part to this question regarding the planetary defences uh, on the surface of Darabar. So again, three options. Uh, multiple of them may be true, and one point for each one that you guess correctly to be true. Which of the following were features of Darabar's defences on the surface of the world? Was it A, jagged razor-sharp mountains above deep ravines of deadly ice flows? B, warp-touched mutated predatory wildlife? Or C, Warp-touched, mutated landscapes, including cave entrances that warped into giant moors eager to consume anyone who wandered within. Ooh. Mm. I'm going to go for the end two, the monsters and the caves. Um... <clears throat> I'm going to say all three. Ooh. It's almost like... Darren has guessed the ploy here because yes, once again, all three are true. I definitely so, wanted the moors because just because like the idea of them 
eating things sounds cool. Caves with mouths and very yeah. chaosy. Yeah. Yep. Mutated chaos, more cave entrances, warp touch, predatory wildlife, and razor sharp, jagged mountains and frozen ravines, as well as debris fields of pirates and aliens, void mines, and warp anomalies. So like it's a, a pretty hazardous place. place. Lions, tigers, and bears. <laughs> <laughs> but chaos ones. Now that needs to be that needs to be on the poster for Crucible of War. <laughs> Lions, Lions, tigers, and bears, bears, but chaos ones. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, is this night world the layer of Doctor Evil? <laughs> Need some laser beams on their heads. Yeah. Well, funnily enough, most of the actual defences of the traitor knights are all underground in cave networks because below the surface of the planet, all these ex extensive cave networks were heavily fortified by House Mandracor and allowed them to outmaneuver the Imperial invaders, seemingly able to appear from one of any dozens of different directions and approaches. So yeah, they basically were an underground evil lair base. <laughs> It's like the idea of knights just climbing out of the ground as well. Chaos knights climbing out. Of, See, that's like, cool. Like yeah. zombie knights. Just <laughs> seeing a big knight hand come over the top first and then it just pull its head covered in sand out of... So, as, as our final question to the first round, um, as you can imagine, Imperial forces have had a hard time besieging Darafar and uh, it didn't bode well for them when they heard that an impending vast chaos fleet led by Harkon Worldclaimer was approaching the system with the aim of breaking the siege. So, when Harkon Worldclaimer's colossal chaos fleet first arrived in the system on approach to break the siege at Aravar, Chapter Master Bastian Grix proposed the withdrawal of all Imperial forces and to retreat into the rift. But how did his fellow senior commanders respond to his proposal? Commanders including several captains of other Space Marine chapters, as well as canonesses Josein Tabet and Kesola Emil of the Adaptus Sororitas and Admiral Yelgrata of the Imperial Navy. I mean, is there a multiple choice of this, or is it just. Yes, they I was shot just pausing him. because. <laughs> because I, I think that's giving... the standard answer, isn't it? <laughs> well. Option A is that Grix was accused of cowardice in the face of the foe, and his forces were the only ones to abandon the siege before the arrival of the Chaos Fleet. Or, option B, they immediately fell into disorganisation and infighting as disputes raged over whether to abandon the siege or not. Or C, they all unanimously agreed with, in full with Grix. Oh, and, no, uh, just uh, a uh, trick question. <laughs> As to stay was suicide, with no chance of inflicting lasting harm on the enemy. Hmm. I think, I cannot imagine, Sisters of Battle retreating. I just, I can't, I can't see it, personally. So I think they went into disarray. I'm gonna say a maybe. I just think like the, the idea that the guard and like will be shot if they retreat sometimes like out of cowardice. So uh, to be a space marine, say it. I think. Yeah, I'm gonna go with a. 
Uh, so you believe that Grix was accused of cowardice and only his forces uh, abandoned the siege? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Elton. And uh, what about Dan? I'm going for... Um, uh, they started just arguing. <laughs> as, in, as Imperial commanders are wont to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because... I would have completely agreed with either one of you, but in fact, in Rift War, in this instance, all Imperial commanders in question agreed in full with Who wrote that this? Day was suicide. Who wrote this? They never played 40k in their life. <laughs> like, I, I, I think the sort of the point here that the story makes is that this is clearly how large and threatening this chaos armada was. That clearly everyone at the siege immediately agreed that there's no way in hell that they could fight that or even do any noticeable damage to it. Obviously, so there they... were no commissars there. <laughs> they must have all died in the siege on the hell planet in the caves and eaten by monsters. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or the caves themselves. Yeah, or the caves yeah, themselves. The caves themselves yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Basically, um, it, there was a lot of uh, panic disorder in the retreat being organised and attempting to escape because obviously the Chaos Forces on the planet took this opportunity to start the counter-offensive. And uh, yeah, it didn't go well for the Imperials in general, but they were attempting to abandon the siege and evacuate into the rift. Which is, brings us on to round two, the perils of the rift. Because obviously this... Uh, narrow corridor of real space twisting and turning through the pathways of the warp in some sort of interstellar galactic horror tunnel of you know mayhem and chaos and renegades and aliens is not a nice play horror tunnel. Gala galactic horror tunnel <laughs> so we have a few questions now relating to um a few different sort of you know instances and occurrences and general bad times that happen within the rift. So, first of these, after breaking the siege at Darabar, it was clear how vast the Chaos Armada was and how immense the forces Abaddon had unleashed upon the Gauntlet truly were. But as formidable as it was, Natchman Gauntlet was still a dangerous place and the fleet still suffered from attacks which drew off valuable resources and disrupted supply lines. Craftworld Aldari, Drakari Raiders, Space Marine Chapters, and even other Heretic Astartes, as well as Orc Freebooters, all targeted the Chaos Armada as it made its way through the gauntlet. But which of these is one of the Orc Warlords responsible for these raids? <laughs> Was it A... Captain Youth Badbones, the Loot Stagger. <laughs> Was it B, Grand Hat Admiral Grasgut's Ship Smasher? Or was it C, Squigbeard the Red? <laughs> Squigbeard the Red! <laughs> <laughs> And I will tell you here and now, this is not a trick question. One of those three options is an official Orc Warlord name. 
dear. I've forgotten the first one and the second one. <laughs> I'll just run through them again. So the first option is Captain Youth Bad Bones, the Loot Snagger. And option two is Grand Hat Admiral, Graz Guts Ship Smasher. I love that name. I want that one, just because I like the idea of Grand Hat. That one. Yeah, I do really like that one, but I'm going to go with uh, Squigbeard the Red, just to be different, <laughs> <laughs> and to make this happen. <laughs> going to kill me. <laughs> well, I'm glad, Darren, that you picked that one, because Squigbeard the Red was one of my favourite orc names I've made up to date. <laughs> because the correct answer was... Grand Hat Admiral yeah! Grasguts yeah. Ship Smasher. Because he's Grand Hat. That is a great orc name. Uh, <laughs> because he's got a Grand Hat. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> now, we, now we need to see a Grand Hat Admiral model. <laughs> look, and, look, and, and really let's put it out hat. here. Let, let's put it out there. Can we have a squig bit of the red as well, please? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm looking forward to Grand Hat Admiral Grasguts being the next official Black Library miniature. (laughs) (laughs) However, as well as various marauding fleets harassing uh, the Chaos Forces on the way, uh, there were also many benighted and besieged worlds that obviously found themselves suddenly stuck in the middle of a rift. Many of the worlds within the Gauntlet were still suffering the worst of the after-effects of the Great Rift's emergence. They were plagued by pirates, anarchy, psychic outbreaks, xenos invasions, and mutant uprisings. As such, how did many of these worlds react when Hark and Wolclaimer's ships arrived in their system? Is it A? Harkon's forces destroyed these threats, and the inhabitants, having no idea these were not loyal angels of death, had joined in league with them after they were liberated. B. Planetary governors often surrendered or took their own lives, their worlds already under siege and unable to defend themselves. Or C, these worlds turned to open worship of the Chaos Gods, believing that the Emperor had truly forsaken them. I'm going to go with the last one. I think I'm going to go with the first one, because I really like the idea. They're like, eh, they're space marines. They're a bit funny looking, but they'll do. Pointy ones. Well, I could tell you that Dan's logic is sound because that is indeed what happened. A lot of the time, these worlds were liberated by Harkin's forces and not knowing any better, they assumed that this is just what space marines looked like. <laughs> and uh, they praised their saviors and joined forces with them. Cool, they're going to be sorry in the morning, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they're... Well, funnily enough, not as sorry as the inhabitants of the Imperial world have bade. Because... Uh, this unfortunate world was a prize coveted by Urin Rakaf, homunculi lord of the prophets of flesh. The human world was ideally isolated from the Natchman Gauntlet and held a significant population of 20 billion souls, which would act as ample supply for his flesh farms back in Kamora. However, he desired for the humans to come to him willingly, and in doing so, unwittingly damned themselves. But how did he achieve this? Was it A, Rakaf's agents engineered acts of sabotage that destabilized the world's resources and brought their society to near collapse. Only then later, 
offering the inhabitants sanctuary and stability within Camorra, which they then foolishly accepted. Or B. Rakaf's agents directed a nearby orc fleet towards Bade, which they later defended the humans against, and offered sanctuary to them in Camorra to the survivors, who then foolishly accepted. <laughs> or C. Rakaf himself posed as a political rival to the planetary governor and led an uprising to dethrone them, foolishly supported by the people of Bade. Mm. That's tricky. I mean, essentially what they've done there is taken the plot of Chi Chi Bang Bang <laughs> and I like the orc one. I think the orc one because it's the sort of stuff I know they're not they're, they're, they're not technically Eldar but well they are Eldar but they're not like Farseers but Fars that's the sort of thing that Farseers would do. <laughs> it's a big Trixie Eldar do. Yeah. I'm going with that one just because it sounds ish plausible. Um, I'm gonna probably go to the first one because just the idea of like cutting off their resources, kind of them like really starving and just the, watching them suffer before they then take them in. That's a good idea. Should I talk that? I do like the orcs. So. <laughs> I like both these answers because one, I do also like orcs. And two, I did like the idea of the first one when I came up with it. <laughs> Which is why it was, in fact, that they redirected Orc fleets towards Bade. So ah. that is a point for Dan, because it was Trixie Eldar doing Trixie Eldar things. <laughs> Don't worry about these greenskins, we'll save you. Come to our safe place through this portal. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Bad idea. <laughs> And uh, yeah, that brings us to the end of round two, the Perils of the Rift, which means that we get to move on now to our very exciting round three, the Malefic Name Game. <laughs> Yay! That was the theme tune. <laughs> so, again, for those people who might be the first time listening to one of our quizzes, the Name Game is a true or false round where I'm going to list through a number of, in this instance, warp storms and warp anomalies within the Natural Gauntlet and their official Imperial designations. Oh, and, uh, oh, no. Dan and <laughs> whether or not they think that a certain name is true or false. And uh, each one of them that they get right is worth a point. So, uh, going into this round, by the way, uh, you'll be interested to know that the scores are currently eight points to Dan and seven to Darren. Ooh. Ooh, it's, it's very close. So, our first Warp Storm Anomaly. Is this a real or false Warp Storm name? The Diabolic Monstram. <laughs> I'm going to say false on this one. The, the Diabolic what? Monstram. Yeah, M O N. S-T-A-R-M I'm going to go true It is in fact true oh. Point to Dan <laughs> Our second designation name is the Malus Volu You what? 
the Malus Volu. Gesundheit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go false. Uh, I'm also going to say false on this one. And you would both earn a point, because that is in fact one I made up. It is Latin for bad swirl. (laughs) 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 Enjoy that one, Dan. I did like that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how about... The Portus Diabolis. So that, if, it's whether you've made that up, but that is the like. I'm gonna go with true because that's Demon Gate, isn't it, Portus? I think I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with true. Yeah, I'm gonna say true on that one. That is indeed true. Is Portus? Uh, yeah, Portus must be Demon Gate or something. I think it might be Devil Gate, something Devil like that. Devil Gate yeah. or something like that, yeah. <clears throat> well, next we have the Fury of Madness. Not to be confused with the Fury of Magnus gaming supplement from 7th edition. Uh, I'm going to say false on this one. I'm going to say false as well. Well, unfortunately, that one is true. <laughs> the Fury of Madness is a real warp anomaly within the Rift. So how about the Crucible of Change? Oh, I'm going to go true with that one. Um, I'll say false on this one. Ooh, a split decision. And in this case, that will be a point to Darren because it is, in fact, not a malefic warp anomaly within the natural gauntlet, but it may, in fact, be a future format of the narrative wargamer event. So <laughs> what you're saying is, what you're saying is, it's a plug. <laughs> <laughs> it may be, it may not be. Who knows? <laughs> the future is immutable. <laughs> Ever-changing. <laughs> um... But next up in our name game, we have the Rage Inferum. Ooh. I'm going to say true on that one. I'm going to say true as well. And you will both get a point, because that one is true. So moving swiftly on to the, the Diabolus Fluctuus. As difficult as that is to pronounce, Fluctuus is spelled F-L-U-C-T-U-S. I'm going to go true. I'm going to go false. Well, it is false. That one is instead Latin for devil wave. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what you get before the swirl? (laughs) The devil wave takes you to the bad swirl. Are these all nautical terms? Yeah. I mean, like, nautical terms. Just sort of like ish, you know, nautical <clears throat> Latin, you know, bad connotation words all swirled up together in a translator. <laughs> but how about the Vortex of Wrath? 
40k that. Hmm. It sounds a little bit like a Cornite Warlord trait. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to go true. I'm going to say true on this one. Yeah. It is true. Yeah, that's very 40k. In a good way. In a good way. But how about Faith's Demise? Um, I'm going to say true on this one. I think I'm going to go false. Because you can have faith in the dark gods. <laughs> so I was going to say that. I was like, are you, are you saying you're lacking faith there, Dan? <laughs> no, I'm just but, thinking, uh, like, that, that kind of is... Oh, okay. I'm really thinking too much into it, but I'm going to go false. So Dan's saying false and Darren, you're saying true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that uh, Dan did have faith that it was the right answer because it is false. So that is a point for Dan. Right. <laughs> Faith's demise was one that I made up. Uh, and then just a couple left. Next, we have the burning hate. <laughs> Burning heat. Hate. Oh, right. <laughs> That's not what I thought you said. Uh, <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> mm. My opponent dies, do I win? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Gotta win some. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I don't know anymore. Um, I'm gonna go with false. Uh, I'm gonna agree with you on that one. It's funny you say that because the burning hate is in fact a true warp storm within the rift. <laughs> Not to be confused with the burning heat. <laughs> nope. <coughs> Oh, no, that's a, that would be something you get from the followers of Nurgle. <laughs> <laughs> On to our penultimate warp anomaly name. Is this one true or false? The Sanguis Calvaria. So blood gun. <laughs> I'm gonna go false. If it, if or if if, if it, yeah, I'm gonna go false. I'm not sure it's gun, but I am going false. I'm gonna say false too on this one. <laughs> yeah, Dan was onto something there. You are both correct. It is false because it was another Latin name that I've made up, and it was the Blood Skull. Oh, cover. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <clears throat> My limited then, knowledge of Latin. And then, finally, we have the Abyssus Tenebrae. True. Uh, I'm going to say true on this one. And that 
is a point for you both because the Abyssus Tenebrae is a real warp anomaly within the rift. I'm trying to remember what Tenebrae means. I'm sure it means something. <clears throat> I'm sure it does. <laughs> but right now, <laughs> know. nobody knows. No. <laughs> <laughs> Do I get a point for that? <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of round three. And we have one more round to go. And at this point, Dan has started to pull away a little bit because it's now 17 points to Dan and 14 to Darren. So you've slightly widened the gap there, but he's right on your tails. Sorry, right, I don't think going I'm going to get to the far end of the rift. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've just got one more round to go, which is round four, raising the Sanctus Wall. Well, so this is a little bit of a similar concept to the Cordon Impenetra from the... Um, Octarius sort of sector because this is the like the line in the sand as it were made of the certain uh, planets at the southern end of the rift so the idea right. being that this is the, the final line of defense attempting to hold in um, basically the new Cadian gate you know stopping the horrible gribblies of the chaos realm escaping through the rift into the Imperium Secundus um, no yes Secundus yeah so this line in the sand, is that the same sand the knights buried the head in? <laughs> no. <laughs> and they're now charging across the sand. <laughs> Ooh, Darren's really going for that uh, win by default, isn't he? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, no, so funny enough, uh, this is sort of in line with a similar line of questioning that we had for the per- penetrating, the cordon in penetrate. Um, where it's basically all about how they were mustering forces to create this, you know, um, impenetrable line of defense and in what ways the Imperials have had to make, you know, hard decisions in order to bring about their best chance of victory. So obviously, um, as you can imagine, various wards that were able to were attempting to evacuate and move to the southern edges of the Sanctus Wall and not be left on the wrong side of the defenses when the Imperial forces, uh, when the Chaos forces came crashing through. As such, preparing the Sanctus Wall and fortifying the worlds along it was a desperate and hurried endeavour. Planetary governors had to enforce which of the following one-step policies in order to quickly process incoming refugees. Was it A, the Lasgun or Shovel workforce designation? <laughs> <laughs> I know which one I would want. Shovel. <laughs> Way more deadlier than a lasgun. Was it B, the out of sight, out of mind policy on acceptable mutations? Ooh. Or C, the conscript or corpse starch designation? Ooh, they're all really good. Yeah. They're all very... I think, Tony, you've outdone yourself on that question. <laughs> well, let's hope that I'm never put in charge of a planetary <laughs> <laughs> system and the rule of the Imperium. Conscript or corpse? I think I'm going to go really with C good. on that one, yeah. Yeah, I think C. Ooh, such fans of the uh, conscript or corpse starch <laughs> policies are we both? I mean, I'm not a fan of it. I'm not saying that's <laughs> a policy I endorse. I'm not saying I endorse it. But you think it's um, a very 40k thing? <laughs> it's a, I mean, they're all very, like, the out of, like, I can see the Imperium like, getting all the muties and twists and 
see, I can see that as well. I can also see the first one, whichever that was. Oh, the shovel and that, that's the, that's the one I think is the least the least plausible because I think it's playing too much on the Krieg meme. Mm -hmm. So I'm still gonna go see. Are you going to see as well, Darren? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed that because that was in fact one that I made up. <laughs> oh. uh, the correct answer was A, the Lasgun or Shovel workforce designation. No way! <laughs> yep. Someone's going to dig worker that sound. Or a soldier. Oh, wow, I'm, I'm genuinely disappointed because that corpse starts your... That is a brilliant idea. Yeah. You're either you're either meat for the grinder or you're meat for the grinder. <laughs> yes, that's a brilliant way of putting it. <laughs> right, guys. Well, quick little addendum here because it turns out that um, Harkin was not the only one to get lost in the rift, as it seems, because uh, unfortunately we had a little technical blip ourselves and uh, we. <laughs> We lost our last run through of the last couple of questions from the quiz. And uh, yeah, as much as a shame as that was, we didn't want to just cut it short with no explanation. So um, what we decided we're going to do, because obviously both Dan and Darren have now heard the answers to the remaining questions. Uh, so, which is a real shame because as is always the case when these things happen, there were some funny moments <laughs> in there that we've, we've missed out on now. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. And um, for the sake of completeness and so that we can still sort of present some of the interesting facts to you, the listeners, uh, what we're going to do is we're just going to rerun through the last couple of questions. And um, rather than me read out what the correct answers were, uh, I'm going to see if Dan and Darren can remember what they were between them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to Good give luck. them the choices and see if they can remember exactly what happened in the last half hour or so. <laughs> Next up, I had asked Dan and Darren how it was exactly that the Ecclesiarchy had gone about ensuring that the population was spiritually prepared for the coming assault. Can either of you remember what the correct answer was? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was something to do with the emperor. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and what? he was a nice chap and they said some things and everyone was happy. That's my answer. Well, can you remember, Darren? Uh, <laughs> it's okay if you can them because... on the minute every minute <laughs> that's it yeah um, basically to ensure spiritual uh, uh, reinforcements and the raising of morale the ecclesiarchy had resorted to broadcasting prayers and hymnals continuously every minute on the minute across several worlds and uh, yeah that wasn't going to be grating at all it was totally going to be spiritually uplifting. And if I remember, I remember rightly as well, we both chose your answers. 
Yes. Uh, between you, you had believed that uh, public executions of accused heretics had been broadcast every hour, or that countless priests had been walking among the workforces reciting holy scripts. But unfortunately, you were both wrong in that instance. <laughs> <clears throat> then, next up, I'd asked you about how many of the worlds considered safe behind the line of the Sanctus Wall had been stripped bare of resources as they were reassigned to the fortification of the Sanctus Wall. These worlds had been left incredibly vulnerable as a result, practically defenseless. And, as would be expected, only days later, the Rydgek system had uh, come under attack from which Xenos forces? Can you remember? I it was? remember this one. It was the Orcs. No, it wasn't. It wasn't the Orcs. I, it was the Dark Order. I can't remember. <laughs> it's literally five minutes ago and I can't remember. I think it was the Dark Elder. What was it? I could, the orcs. Well, the options you'd been given was it was either an Orqua, a Tyranid Hive Fleet, or Dracari <clears throat> Raiders. I know which one it wasn't. It wasn't the Tyranids. <laughs> there you go. It wasn't the Tyranids. Correct. It was not the Tyranids. Yay! <laughs> Uh, it, what happens, um, you get into your 30s, late 30s, and your brain goes to jelly. <laughs> we literally did this 10 minutes ago, <laughs> and I can't remember the answers. I, I want to say, oh, was it the Orcs? Was it Dark Elder? I'm going to I'm gonna go Dark Elder. I'm going to go with my original answer, because that was my original answer. So I'm going to go Dark Elder. Well... It was, in fact, the Orcs of Wah Guzkrog. So I got it wrong twice. <laughs> yep. <laughs> because apparently, despite not being a book about the Orcs, the Orcs have actually been showing up a fair bit throughout the Rift War and have been kicking lots of faces in just for the hell of it. <laughs> I feel really bad that I got it wrong twice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm sure you'll be remember. Uh, I'm sure you'll be able to remember the correct answer to the next question, which is asking about the desperate plan that was going to be enacted by Lord Admiral Quirin Prisker, because the imperial <laughs> defenders. <laughs> it was right. Can you read out the answers? Because I know this one. So this was that the Imperial defenses at the Sanctus Wall were desperately awaiting the arrival of reinforcements from the Indomitus Crusade Fleet Secundus, and they needed to buy time for the reinforcements to arrive. Lord Admiral Prisker's desperate plan was either A, that a forward fleet would be dispatched to intercept the Chaos Armada and stall its arrival, B, that sacrificial ships would detonate their warp drives in narrow areas of real space along the gauntlet aiming to collapse them, closing those routes through the rift. Or C, it was broadcasting a warning into the rift, claiming that the risen Primarch Rebute Gilliman himself defended the Sanctus Wall in a very calculated bluff. So what they did <laughs> is they got a broom, right? And then they put power armor on the broom and then they, they waved it about with Gilliman. And that's that you missed a whole section on that. It's really sad. I, I it was really funny. Not now. It is. Unfortunately, Rebrume Gilliman will have to remain oh, in the annals of history brilliant. just for us. 
it's a shame I didn't get more answers and I would have got a clean sweep. Hey! <laughs> um, no, what one was this one? This was the... Oh, I remember the answer for this one. Because future me knows this. Because questions. Right? It was the lady. She went into the warp with a bunch of ships. Yes, it was. It was that Admiral Prisker personally led a forward fleet into the rift in an attempt to intercept and stall Harkin's Armada. Knowing full well that they would not be able to defeat it, it would face inevitable death and destruction, but they would force Harkin to engage in a battle that he did not have the time to fight. And uh, it very much paid off because uh, some of the survivors that did make it back from the battle at the Gragnoid Narrow returned to the Sanctus Wall to find that it had in fact been reinforced by the Indomitus fleet that had since arrived. Now, however, Admiral Prisca herself did not return and I'd offered you a few options about what the official Imperial records were as to her fate. It was A, that she had officially died a martyr's death and was declared a saint for her sacrifice. B, that she'd been declared missing in action and then was quickly forgotten about by Imperial officials. Or C, that she'd been officially declared to have returned victorious despite having no public appearances. Can you remember which was the correct answer? She became a saint, I think. She did. She did. She was officially declared a, uh, a martyr and a <clears throat> saint. However, in the final question of the quiz, I had asked you what was, in truth, the real fate of the Lord Admiral. Was it that she had A, been killed by Harkin Wildclaimer personally when he boarded her flagship, B, that she'd been captured and was now held prisoner by Harkin Wildclaimer, or C, that she'd been brought before Harkin and declared her fealty to him and was now serving the Dark Gods of Chaos? Can we, can we just pretend that your answer was the right one? Because <laughs> I think it's better. Well, unfortunately, she's not as yet, as far as we know, serving the Dark Gods of Chaos, despite the fact that I think it would be cool if she did. It's a really cool one. I really like that. It's a sort of, oh, one of those sort of cliffhanger moments at the end of a series, isn't it? Well, the way the book presented it was that this was very much sort of like the cliffhanger ending in the... Um, the Admiral was in fact alive, but she was now being held prisoner by Harkon. And while she had been officially declared a martyred saint um, back at the Sanctus Wall, it seems that Harkon now has plans to basically make use of her to presumably break the morale of the defenders because he's going to somehow be able to prove that, you know, their saint is not a saint. You know, he's going to be able to shatter their morale and belief about her noble sacrifice. And who knows what it, dark fate awaits her. Broomstick. In the book. <laughs> in, yeah, broomstick. <laughs> in the book, does it have dun 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 written in, written in it? More or less. You have to less. do that yourself. Yeah, you have to do that yourself. Um, if Prisca's forces were all the Imperium could muster against him, he knew how truly weak and desperate his enemies were. Their failed counter-attack proved to World Claimer that his strategy was working, but moving at such speed was making it difficult for the Imperium to react to him. 
the Herald of the Apocalypse decided to make more use of the defeated naval officer. He was sure her fellows thought her dead. When the time was right, he would prove them wrong, and the Sanctus Wall would know fear that even now they had not yet experienced. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so yeah, uh, like that's basically where the um, the Lawrence book um, ends because it's uh, Harkin preparing his assault on the Sanctus Wall. So I imagine in another three years' time, when they'll revi- <laughs> revisit the next stage of the Natural Gauntlet story arc, we'll probably get Harkin will claim actually attempting to siege the Sanctus Wall. So with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, somewhat confused ending there given our uh, sort of little temporal blip um, the final scores at the end of the quiz after the initial run of actually uh, guessing the correct answers we had Darren with 15 points and Dan on 17 Woo-hoo. so <laughs> um, I hope that wasn't too confusing to listeners the fact that we had to sort of just change up how we were running through those last few questions because of having to rerun it, as it were. But uh, even we are not uh, practice at running the rift, it would seem. So just blame it on the warp or the buggy. Somewhere in another timeline, Rabumir Gilliman is busy being the centre of attention. <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny. The Bruce so thing was funny. really funny, and you'll never hear it. Oh. And this will well, make no good. sense to anyone who's listening to it now. No, you, you just have to imagine there was a broom involved, there was power armor. It at one was point, just, there was two brooms. There was two brooms at one point. With their like, arms around each other. Yeah, it's great. And there was a voices with a sword. We both oh, did voices, yeah. We both did voices. There was like, hi, I'm Gediman. Hi, I'm the Admiral. And it, and it and it went on like that, and it was great. And now you you don't get to hear it because it's not fair, is it? That's life. <laughs> Welcome to the wonderful world of podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> Things happen, <laughs> but in either case, we've had a great time. I've had a great time having you both on, and I hope you both had a great time being involved. Oh, I've definitely had a great time. It's brilliant, as per usual, Tony. <laughs> Excellent. And this time, having hit record, we know we can actually move on to our community shout-outs. So, um, Yeah, before we do head out uh, for the final time tonight, um, Dan, I believe you were in the middle of telling us about your community shout-out when we realised what had happened. Right, so there are some old farts on the internet who like Facebook... And in this particular Facebook group, there is this uh, these two lovely chaps who I believe are from Plymouth, um, and they are they do a channel on YouTube called Bring 'em Battle, um, and they do uh, loads of second edition battle reports, and they're a good laugh. So watch them and give them some support because they're very good fun, and they're nice chaps. So there you go. That's my that's my community support slash thing. <laughs> Excellent. So links for that will be in the description below. And uh, Darren, what about yourself? I'm going to do a little shout out to uh, it's, it's the Bits Basher, but Bits with a Z on Instagram. Uh, a guy called Jason, and he's basically made a Chaos Knight, but the knight is riding a giant knight-sized bike, just made of bits, and it's great. 
so cool. Yeah, I, I've seen it doing the rounds in the, like, the last uh, 24 hours and it looks spectacular because I think like a lot of people when you first saw it, probably expected it to be Titanica scale. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's really not. It's full 40k scale and uh, yeah, I've seen a picture of it next to a repulsor by comparison and the repulsor is like the size of one of the bike treads. <laughs> it's It's ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, he does like making things large scale. Like he's made a whole like train out of um, bane blades and things before. It's like he works on a massive scale sometimes. So, but yeah, the night on the bike, it's just it's fast. It's so cool. <laughs> I, I think I could tell by Dan's face he's just gone and found it. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, you can't see it because it's the podcast again and it's rubbish radio, but it's amazing. Really good. I'm following him. That's good. I like that. <sighs> uh, and then finally for myself, uh, I am once again supporting my local podcasting scene in Warhammer 40,000 and promoting another 40k podcast, one which um, is a new up-and-comer, but which I think is going to be doing spectacularly for a long time because it's got some great concepts behind it. And this is the 40 Curious, a Warhammer 40k podcast, and that is Curious with a K. <laughs> That's a great um, It is, it's it's a brilliant concept, and basically it's um, a sort of like a deep thought exercise discussion podcast, so they take a topic and deep dive into various concepts within you know, 40k, some of it can be sort of in-law, some of it can be sort of real world parallels, stuff like that I mean, for example, so far they've had three episodes. Um, the first one, <laughs> entitled "The Imperium of Charlemagne," and basically it's about the um, sort of like real-world parallels between the French Empire by Emperor Charlemagne and the basically the Imperium of Man and like the rise of the Emperor, and how there's lots of like you know historical alleg uh, allegories between those ventures and the Imperium, and the fact that you know back in the day in the early '80s. A lot of the uh, people involved with creating the initial setting were big history nerds, you know, big history, history buffs. And it's sort of really interesting to see where some of these influences come from um, and the parallels there are between the Imperium of Man um, and real world history. And uh, there's, a, you know, there's a whole episode discussing that. Um, the second episode was, what do you do when a god wants to eat you? I was going to say, that's almost like a Ghostbusters quote. <laughs> you say yes. <laughs> um, well, that's a, that was an entire episode de devoted to the uh, moral philosophies of the Eldar race and how they deal with having to avoid being eaten by Slanesh. And the different, you know, philosophical and moral debates that are being conducted by the different aspects of Aldari society in order to deal with this existential crisis. That's proper deep stuff, then. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's it's brilliant listening. Uh, and their third episode was called "The Horror of the Necrons," and basically that was all about sort of like the existential issues that the Necrotia sort of had to deal with, and how they in their own sort of way, are a rather tragic race based on the events of the war in heaven and the fall and the being betrayed by the star gods. And again, how that sort of influences the development of the characters and the personalities of the Necrons and what it means to be a Necron in the, you know, the 41st millennium. And uh, yeah, 
that's just three episodes deep into the 40 Curious Warhammer 40k podcast. And uh, yeah, it's some, some pretty great, like you say, deep thought um, topics. And I'm really enjoying it. So I've just given them a follow and like, it's quite nice because they're three in. So I'm sure I'll give all those a listen. Yeah, I was going to say, it's sort of like, you know, getting now at the open doors sort of thing when they're starting out and uh, you can follow along with their entire catalogue as it develops because That's I imagine it. it's going to grow. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, with that, I think that's everything for tonight. And uh, I think it's probably best that we wrap this up before we have any more technical issues. <laughs> so uh, thank you again, Dan, and thank you, Darren, for coming along and... Uh, I hope the listeners also enjoyed listening to uh, our interview earlier, Darren. And um, once again, if people are interested in attending the Crucible of War 2, then that is taking place later this year, October 15th. Tickets are available now from Tabletop Events. And uh, links to the event pack and tickets are below. So yeah, that's everything for tonight, guys. So until next time, this has been the Narrative Wargamer podcast helping you to discover, and sometimes rediscover, more ways to play 40k.